0: EJ is the true maker's mark. Oh, straight from the bottle. That's
1: how we do it in quarantine dream, baby. I worry about you.
0: I am most eager to engage in some unadulterated violence. God's a
1: Crusade podcast. Who cares? We're out here. EJ Olsen here. Joined always by Nicholas Durheim. Yeah. And again, as I said on the podcast we recorded last night that you won't hear until next week, a new
0: regular, Chris Gilly Forer.
2: I'm excited to be here, and I mean that genuinely and without sarcasm, as opposed to the previous <laughs> times. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> really and
0: selling it. I believe it this time.
2: <laughs> yes. yeah. Nothing better to do, not a Blazers versus Clippers matchup that I'm missing. Oh, I know.
1: Hey, I'm missing it with you. I'm going to pull it up on my uh, screen in front of me so that when you guys are talking about like Kid Icarus or something, I'm just going to... Zoning on the game.
2: <laughs> spoiler,
0: God. Spoiler. That seems like more of a thing that Leaf would talk about. Is something stupid, Leaf like Leaf Is an adorable fucking dork. Let's talk about the 3ds. <laughs> he's like
1: Christmas 2020, and he's like, "Yeah, I just been playing Splatoon and Tetris." Bless his soul. I should have. I should have jumped into Splatoon with him. A little, little nostalgia there. When did Splatoon
0: come out? Like 2017? Summer of 2017, summer mm-hmm. 2017. Yeah, like June, June or July. So we're due. Splatoon three next year, calling it. I hope so. Took him two years between one and two. I hope so. Two wasn't really even a two, it was a one and a half. Maybe three will be like a two and a two and three quarters. Oh man, we're getting into Harry Potter land here. We're gonna divert. This pod is all about catching
1: up, as all of our pods seem to be, because we go through stretches we don't talk for ages, and then we come together to just talk about everything we've been playing and kind of skip over some news that may or may not have happened. But since last we spoke, we've had some major shit happen. Namely, next gen consoles have been released after seven years, of which I acquired both somehow without any shady, nasty business. EJ money bags over here hovering over that buy now button. I will say I did the Xbox all access. So the Xbox has been free so far. <laughs> so you haven't made a payment yet? No. Cool. Yeah. Shit. So that'll be It'll be next year, I'll have to deal with that, so. Yeah, we'll talk about that, and we're going to talk about everything we've been playing. We might touch on cyberpunk drama, because that's happened, but that's kind of left the zeitgeist at this point. No one cares. CD Projekt Red fucked it up. Here we are. So, where do you guys want to start? I I don't care, man. I got a bottle of whiskey, I got some rice and some mushrooms, and, you know, I got you guys, so I don't care. We're here. We're doing it. This is my job as host to tell us what we're doing, but
0: I'm leaving it up to you. Chris, what you been playing?
2: Oh, taking it and passing it. I respect that. Uh, The hockey assist from EJ on the way to me. I've been playing, um, you know, I wasn't playing a whole hell of a lot the last couple months of the semester. I was getting my, my fall semester practicum show, being the MFA student that I am, up on its feet. Uh, we were talking about this before the pod, but UNC Greensboro, shameless plug, one of the only colleges in the country to achieve an in-person season of plays last year. We had zero COVID-19 tests in the department because of our health and safety practices. So I wasn't playing a whole hell of a lot of stuff. Um, but when I was playing, I was playing cross code. I really sank into that game in a big way. Um, sort of an action RPG. It's got uh, melee combat. It's got like a like a stick shooter uh, projectile element to it as well. It's really zippy. It's fun. There's a lot of different ways you can interact with it uh, in terms of move uh, movesets, special moves. Uh, you've got uh, powerful charge-up moves with your melee, projectile, guard moves, dash moves. So you really can cater the way you want to play uh, based on where you're spending your uh, upgrade points, which for me, because not unlike EJ, I don't like to think too fucking hard about the games I play, is all <laughs> melee all the time, mass damage, just like trying You're to set up. You're a gunner, big, baby! I'm trying to set up big combos, You just man. said melee, no guns. No! Oh, <laughs> got him. Ah, yeah, that, 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 that. So that's been a blast. It's got a really interesting sort of exploratory element to the way you interact with the world, that there's multiple levels, uh, different heights of things that goes between different areas of the map. So when you get into a new area, you can see a lot of stuff you can't get to, but you know that when you get, like, two or three areas deeper, you're going to find that little ledge tucked around the corner that's going to get you up to the next level. You'll backtrack one area. That's going to get you to some jump pads. It's going to get you up to the top level, get back to the first area to get that chest that's been, like, winking at you since you came into that uh, into that zone. Story's pretty interesting. Um, it's, like, a 16-bit art style, which I definitely, like, devour any given opportunity uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. I think I probably got like one or two areas left before I get into the uh, the end game and uh, that's been a blast.
0: Well, I think I will be checking out CrossCode after my current playthrough of Paper Mario Origami King is completed because I, I bought CrossCode physical. I was showing off the case a little bit. It's got the, the protagonist and some some of their compatriots hanging out in the background, but that that's definitely been a game I've been waiting for it to come out on switch because it came out on pc i want to say like 2018 but i play most of my indies on the switch just because sometimes they come in a cute little box and that tickles my my brain stem and just the right way to make me feel satisfied you're a sick sick man but paper mario i got for my birthday and i'm not sure if it was going to be a game that i would buy myself personally just because i've had sort of a mixed sort of feeling with where Paper Mario has gone in the last uh, three or four games. Because I'm one of those elitists, one of those YouTube commenters that are always bitching about the way Paper Mario has not been a RPG series since the first two games. But I'm also not as like angry about it as a lot of other people are. It's just like, oh, it's just not the those games anymore. But I love Paper Mario, I love Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. <sighs> at least one of those is in my top ten at any given time which I think EJ and I have talked about in a podcast that is lost to the anals of history. Now, yes, I said anals on purpose. (laughs) But Origami King is very much like RPG Lite. It's got really fantastic writing. It's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of uh, enjoyable sort of exploratory mechanics and very light puzzling. It's easy. It's not hard to pick up and play. It's not hard to put down and wait a month and pick back up which is what I did this last time because I was playing it and then something else came out and I don't know what, but I picked it back up in the last week or so. I just finished the, I want to say the third streamer, which is uh, sort of the way the chapters are broken up is there's these five, I want to say five or six sort of uh, streamers that the main antagonist fucked up the world with. And there's big ass ribbons, you know, literally they're streamers because this is a paper world and you're a paper man. Trying to fix this paper bullshit. But it's cute and I'm having a pretty good time. The uh, battle system is not graded on me enough to be like a problem. It's satisfying when I do interact with it, but it's easily avoided if I'm not feeling like I want to be battling. Because as many others have probably talked about, it's not really a RPG in that you're not getting experience points. You're just sort of getting coins, which you can use to buy items that break. And it's just sort of like an intertwining economy system where you have your uh, confetti bag that you're using to fill in holes in the world and it's sort of just like a thing to do that's like a way to interact with your environment and then you get more confetti by defeating enemies or by like hitting trees or whatever. So everything just sort of like feeds in on itself in like a tight little wound loop but you also can ignore a lot of it if you're not feeling up to it. But it's just a, definitely a good zone out kind of game. Not to the point where I want to put on like a podcast or anything because I'm still interested in like what the characters are saying. And the music is really fantastic and it always has been. But it's just like a nice, low effort kind of game to play, which I've been really enjoying because I love those kinds of games, especially when I'm on like a winter break, which I am right now.
1: Is this something you would recommend to somebody with limited free time? Because you're making it seem like it's definitely just more of a time waster where you're kind of piddling around and it's cute enough.
0: But That's the way I'm playing it because I'd like to try to complete all these areas because it feels good to get that that completion percentage up kind of thing. But if you wanted to just like mainline it and just do the story, then you could probably, this seems like a fairly short game. Does it justify Paper Mario's continued existence? Yes. I don't think there's any other Mario game that's like this, especially since Superstar, or uh, not Superstar, but just the Mario and Luigi games are kind of dead now and there isn't any other sort of mario adventure games mario doesn't have a character in any of his other games he's just sort of like the dude you play to to do the thing to make the jumps right and this game does not focus on that it focuses on uh interacting with characters and having funny jokes and prat falls and anime tears falling out the back of people's heads you know that kind of thing this is like a kids tv show version of a mario video game i guess so it's like the original paper marios but without the fun stuff It depends on what you find fun from the original Paper Marios, because those were always like RPG light to begin with. Yeah. You know, every time you level up, you choose between, well, at least in the first two, you choose between, you know, making your HP more, making your magic, like your MP or FP more, or giving yourself more badge slots, which also give you more like attack options. But it's very simple, small numbers kind of stuff. So it's just a different sort of take on it. I don't think the battle mechanics in the first two games there. I don't think there's really anything more you could extrapolate from those systems to make them more interesting in later series. I think a lot of people are just like, they want more of that, but I don't think more of that would be better.
1: This is the kind of thing that I wish Nintendo would offer more demos. This is the kind of game where like I'm on the fence
0: about. They've done they've done pretty good about their demos in like certain aspects and a lot of those have been like third party, but like another game I'll talk about in a little bit is Hyrule Warriors. I played the demo for that and was like, you know, this is kind of scratching a mindless gamer kind of itch that I haven't really had the the necessary like desire to get into with prior Warriors games, especially. But that was a demo I tried out and then ended up getting the game for it just because it was like, man, I love Breath wow. of the Wild and this is a lot of fun.
1: Is it strictly Breath of the Wild stuff? Yes very
0: strictly damn dude i might be interested in this damn game now check out the demo you play as a uh, link and then pretty quickly after that you uh unlock impa to play as and she's just she's basically a naruto character she's doing the hand signs and making shadow clones of herself and dropping giant frogs on people and that's amazing zelda's like a weird gimmick character where it's all based on the different um like stasis and cryonis and stuff like that with the uh the, t- the sheikah slate but then you get all the different champions, you get, you know, the big Goron guy, the the Revali, you know, you get Falco, you get Edgelord Falco, you get Mommy Gerudo Lady Urbosa, you know, <laughs> you get everyone you want. <laughs> Dang, man. So, I know we've talked about this, about the first
1: Hyrule Warriors game, and I had never played a, a Warriors game at all. I really liked Hyrule Warriors. It, was, it had all the Zelda fan service, there was enough strategy element to it where, like... Yeah, you're mindlessly hacking and slashing, but you have to be engaged because you know, you're trying to manage you know, enemy bases and people attacking your bases strewn about the map. So you're running around trying to manage all this. So like, it was a really good experience. I beat the game, but I haven't thought about it. I bought uh, Fire Emblem Warriors, played it for like half an hour and then just didn't go back to it. And I realized the thing that kept me coming back to Hyrule Warriors was the Zelda fan service. And knowing that this one is like strictly Breath of the Wild, which is a game I actually beat and just having more of a focus than the original game, that's really cool. Dude, the original Hyrule Warriors has like four releases or something. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it came out on the Wii U, it came out on the 3DS, and then there was like a definitive edition on Wii U that bundled in some 3DS stuff, and then there was the Switch release, which, yeah, they they just kept putting that game out. But this is definitely, just from what I remember of checking out Hyrule Warriors uh, that you had on the Wii U, and just from sort of like what I've gleaned about it was that was much more of a not like a story but it was just sort of like hey let's just take all these different characters from different Zelda games and give them a move set and then throw them onto a map and this is definitely more so a hey this is based on a game an established one game it takes place it has a story it's a prequel it takes place 100 years before the other game and you actually play as the characters that you saw cutscenes from in that other game and it's got uh it's just it's more focused and i don't know it's definitely got less characters but the move sets are more varied i think and there's just a i don't know it's it's satisfying to play it's definitely mashy it's definitely very forgiving the camera is a little bit wonky it takes control away from you in weird ways when you're like sprinting around and it starts like hovering right behind you and i just that gets kind of annoying but and it breaks when you're targeting like large monsters, but it's still like fun to whip out big combos and do the big thing that makes the frame rate stutter to a halt because the switch just can't handle it. <laughs> I'm sold
1: on this game, though. Despite that,
0: check it out. The demo will uh, saves your progress, so if you get the game later, you just pick up where you left off. Hell yeah! Okay, I'm downloading it tonight. You can play like three chapters or like
1: three uh, levels. Chris, do you have any experience with Warriors games? Have I asked you this before?
2: <laughs> I don't know if you have. Um, I did almost all of Hyrule Warriors with a really good friend of mine when I was living in California, one of my housemates. Um, and I we absolutely devoured that game. It was a blast. I mean, it's it's just like you said, it really scratches that itch to just like beat up a ton of dudes with some characters that I'm familiar with already, remixing some great Zelda, like historic Zelda bosses and interesting new settings with you know, you know a, d- a different way to interact with them and, and combat them. Uh, and prior to that... Um, I won winter break in college, played all the way through, uh, dynasty warriors Gundam, which is still one of my like absolute favorite mindless slash games. Just a fucking blast to drop into that game and just carve up some mechs with all these Gundam suits from my childhood. Uh, and then I played through a big chunk of the second one with the same people that break as well. It was just like a really interesting like time capsule multiplayer experience for us to just enjoy with each other with nothing else to do. Uh, but I did like Hyrule Warriors. I was pretty hyped for Age of Calamity. Uh, Nick, your, your review is giving me some, some life and thinking maybe I would enjoy this more than the review roundup made it sound like I would like. Um, it does seem like there's a lot of side questing available. Oh yeah. I mean, you're, you're not going to run out of things to do.
0: I don't really know if any of it necessarily feels like required. There's just a lot of icons on the map and they can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, it's got stuff that you can do to surpass a lot of those things. Like if you're like, okay, I have this uh, side area thing that I can do to give uh, Mifa a a follow-up, a better follow-up attack, like a third heavy attack that follows up with her four light attack string. But she has to be like it's it's uh, recommending that she be level twenty one for this. Then you can pay rupees to level up your characters so that they're all like around the same level if you want. Or um, there's all these different like there's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things. It's a, it is definitely overwhelming, but it's pr- also pretty easy to just sort of like hover around the map and be like, oh, I'm just gonna do this mission. I'm just gonna beat
2: the shit out of some bacoblins. You don't have to threaten me with a good time side quests or side quest man. I don't I don't fuck with main quests. I don't fuck with main quests until every side quest is done. And I mean, like, literally, I finished Breath of the Wild at, like, 260 hours because I wanted to have scoured every inch of the map for Korok Seeds until I finished the game, and I was still very satisfied with that playstyle.
0: Guess what? There's Korok Seeds in this game, and they're used as a a, uh, a level up for a character. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's very cool.
1: The, the danger of doing all the side quests in a, a Warriors game... And especially Hyrule Warriors, which was the most guilty of it. It is literally endless. I was just watching a Gerard yeah. the Completionist video. How long did it take him to finish uh, that
0: that last Hyrule Warriors? Like 600
1: hours? Yeah, he's like, he's like, I've literally been playing this game for like five years. And it's, it's finally over. That poor man.
0: When I started playing it in 2015,
1: I said, oh, I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to get all the characters. I'm going to collect all the items. I'm going to you know, do every single one of these quests. And which a lot of them you're just getting dumped on the same map over and over and over. I dude, I quickly after a week I was like, yep, this is literally never gonna happen, and I just gave up on it. Thankfully,
0: I will say that just based on like what I know about that Hyrule Warriors versus this one is, since that one is more of a love letter to an entire series and is pulling obscure characters and not even making characters up for it, like Linkle, and you're like doing weird shit like that. Is that that cast? has to be much bigger than the uh, Age of Calamity cast. I've only unlocked eight characters, so I don't know what the the final count will be when all is said and done, but there has to be less than there was in uh, the original Hyrule Warriors. Remind me five and a half years
1: from now what what the final tally ended up being with for all the DLC.
0: Oh, uh, you could just Google it. I, I mean, I could see this being a contender for DLC, but I don't know if that's really going to add a lot. Uh, It's not going to add... I don't think anything story wise because I mean, people are already kind of like, is this canon because it's got time it's stuff? And like, canon, n- yeah, exactly. It's I Zelda, mean, bitch. The Zelda timeline is already a meme. And the fact that they put it in a book, they shouldn't have done that. They really shouldn't have. I mean, that's like, that's like Disney erasing the Star Wars canon. Like, it never fucking mattered anyway. But people are just gonna be mad about it because they changed something. So, this having like time loop stuff going on in the beginning like if, if you watch the opening cutscene, basically it, it introduces a is this real or do, is this like an alternate take on what happened 100 years ago so that's like a problem because prequel stuff but i think it's fun and it is a fun sort of spin-off where it feels like you're getting to know these characters better because you get to spend more time with them yeah and i appreciate that about it and the cutscenes are all like pretty good and like the music is like just nice sort of remixes of Zelda themes. So obviously that scratches the the th- that part of my brain that makes me feel nice, you know? Zelda stuff.
1: Hey, you know what? <laughs> That's in short supply these days, so nothing wrong with that, Come you know. On. Get it where you can. I'm I'm downloading it tonight. I'm I'm sold on it and I feel uh I feel guilty that I didn't Like when I saw Hyrule Warriors flash on the screen, I shut down. I didn't know anything about this game. And I I think I shut down completely. I was like, nope, I don't
0: need another one of these. I will just say, you know, like level your expectations. It's still a warriors game. It's not amazing. It's good. It's fun. It has performance problems. It's a little bit janky, but all said and done, it's a fun thing to, to mash through. And just like it's, it has a very satisfying loop, very satisfying micro loop, especially that I find uh, pleasurable.
1: One of my big things with Zelda is vibe. My favorite Zelda game is Wind Waker, because it's got a lot of good vibes. The aesthetic is nice. The world design is nice. The music is nice. It just makes you feel good inside. So if this game can do that, like you said it did for you, I'm sold. But you know what else makes me feel good inside? That reminds me a whole hell of a lot of Zelda that I've been playing a lot of. Like, every day for four to, I don't know, sometimes eight hours with people
0: is Sea of Thieves. Was not expecting that.
1: <laughs> Neither was I. <laughs> you Neither played that uh,
0: Game Pass style or just... uh yep. On Game Pass.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think Brendan was playing it, and he, he, uh, he and Mac were playing it, and he invited me to play one night, and I just was like, dude, it just doesn't... like, It doesn't seem like it's for me. And then um, another buddy of mine was playing it, and it was just kind of serendipitous that he was he independently was like, oh, you got to play Sea of Thieves with me. So I gave it the old college try and dude, instantly fell in love with it. It was one of those rare moments where like literally within the first (laughs) five minutes. Rare moments. Oh, I was like, holy crap. I love this game. The music, the aesthetic, you know, at the beginning of the game, you're like stocking up your ship for this expedition. And I literally got butterflies as we took off. And I don't know anything about this game. Like I didn't know, all they had said was like, Oh yeah, it's it's you're on a ship, you're sailing, you're collecting treasure. Sometimes you fight skeletons. I said okay, and I was like so excited. So I've put in an unreasonable amount of time into it in the last month, um, playing every day with with different groups of people. And
0: yeah, so it's 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 a pirate simulator. Yeah, I know you can uh, you can get drunk and throw up on people, and uh, you can play instruments for your your sea shanties get monkeys and parrots and stuff.
1: Yeah, and those are all fun little uh additions. Don't necessarily add anything. It's just it's just a little a little bit of fun, right? But like the the core of the game is is resource gathering and sailing. Really. And the sailing is like really pretty cool. I don't want to say it's realistic, but the sailing mechanics are pretty deep and requires a lot of cooperation. You know, you have depending on the size of your ship, you have to have people manning all your sails. Sail direction, sail length. You have to like read the wind and, you know, you got people managing the anchor and steering and, and then if your ship is damaged, you have to manage trying to patch the ship and bail water out. Something's always happening and all in the pursuit of, of treasure, uh, which, you know, there are different types of quests you can do, but a lot of it comes down to like either following a magic compass and exploring the world. Or being told to go to this island with a treasure map and you find the X on the very, very primitive maps, right? So you're doing a lot of digging and exploring and trying to figure out. Or you get um, parchments, little magic parchments with clues, and you have to be like, all right, you know, some arcane fucking, you know, find, you know, basically looking for some symbol painted on a rock. You think. And then you get there and the next clue appears and you're trying to like figure this stuff out. So it's like, It's not overly difficult, but it's enough to keep you engaged and just exploring with like four buddies is is just so satisfying. The loot grind, you're just getting treasure or, or other forms of currency, the balloons, whatever, and getting higher reputation with whatever faction you're doing quests for. But it all just comes down to like getting more gold. And the gold only buys cosmetic items. Like there's no reason to play the game. Which I guess, there's no reason to play any game if you want to look at it that way. But like, yeah. <laughs> the incentives in-game are so bare bones after all these years, but you still, you just get addicted, man, to hitting that treasure, man. And and kind of the, the whole conceit that kind of makes this game what it is, is like, you get dropped into a PvP server. You're, you're playing this big open world with other players, and Anybody can come and fuck you up and take your treasure. You can sink other players' ships. They can board you, raid you. Combat's a little janky, but that's, like, always a fear of, like, oh, we just spent three hours hoarding treasure, and we get attacked as we're trying to, like, dump and go sell all of our stuff. And so you're also managing that. And and it's the servers are pretty bare by design because they don't want it to just be an obnoxious, you know, cannon fest, and then it wouldn't be fun. But you run into three, four ships over a course of three or four hours, and there's always that element of danger, and you don't know if if they're, uh, you know, if they're gonna come after you or if you're gonna form an unlikely alliance. And just like
0: they got proximity chat in the game, so you can just talk shit to them. I love that shit, man. I love that built-in tension that that games can uh, can build up. I think video games are like one of the only mediums where they can really truly threaten you. <laughs> You know, you're not going to feel threatened watching a movie unless you're watching like a horror movie and you're like really invested in it, but I think video games do that the best.
1: Right. But well, even then, in the game, you are you are the protagonist. In a movie, it's like even if you are watching something scary, it's like okay, what's happening is predetermined. In a game, you are the protagonist and you don't know what the fuck is going to happen. So yeah, that that tension is it can be frustrating. There's nothing worse than getting to the end of a 3 or 4 hour play session and and having your boat capsized or sunk by an NPC or or having a PvP interaction that you weren't planning on. Um, it's very frustrating
0: and like you said yourself is like the There's no point to the game. So even if you lose all your treasure th- That treasure wasn't really worth that much anyway It was the experience getting it and the experience losing it were are, are almost equal if you have that tension And it's a satisfying payoff and you don't feel like you're completely robbed In retrospect, it's easy to feel
1: that way in the moment you feel like you wasted four hours, but you have to remind yourself, yeah, it the, the money didn't mean jack squat anyway, you know? And right now, we're at a point where we're just chasing, like, uh, w- what does Xbox call them? Achievements? Yeah. We're, we're just trying to chase achievements and, like, get the, like, top title, whatever master pirate title you get, which you have to max out all your reputation, do quests for all these different factions. So it's it's a lot of hours required, but it's been a lot of fun, and now I'm playing with my 12-year-old brother who... You know, playing with a 12-year-old is pretty frustrating at times because they don't like to cooperate, (laughs) and this game requires a lot of cooperation in order to be effective. But he's having a blast with it, so it's, you know, it's worth the time. And it's fun, even when it's frustrating. It's a game that I would love to, like, get you guys in on, you know. I don't know if it's exactly up your alley um, because it can be a little meticulous and frustrating. Chris, have you had any interest in this game? Have you seen anything about
2: this? It has interested me. I would say that, by and large, the all access and games pass sort of not package deal but considering them in tandem has got me ready to be an Xbox owner for the first time since like the second model of the 360 in <laughs> yeah. 2000 2010 literally a decade i have not owned an Xbox console uh, but i'm ready to do it with uh with games pass and with the ability to finance it in a, a semi first party manner as opposed to going through like best buys credit card or whatever which of course I don't want to do I don't need more I don't need more credit cards um yeah I'm I'm super down um I'm today I finally started like peeking or knowing that like my $600 stimmy was coming I started peeking or peeking around like availability for consoles I started looking around at um what's the resale market like which of course is like abysmal yeah I think I could probably get a PS5 for like 700 bucks if I really didn't want to wait. Uh, I, might, I might. There's
1: no that. reason to own a PS5 right now. There's a little preview for you for our later conversation. There is no reason to own it right now if you have a PlayStation 4.
2: Counterpoint, I don't own like 90% of the games I can play for free on PS Plus, on PS5 with upscaled graphics. That's
0: that's a good point on your on your Roku TV on my Roku really TV out of it.
2: Yeah. I mean like whatever it, it's whatever it, it's just access <laughs> access to games. I don't own that. I don't have to. Buy. I know. Like, I know. Specifically I Ghost know. Ghost of Tsushima like I probably could have bought it by now. I think it's been hovering around 40 bucks when when it hits a I sale I don't believe price. Ghost is
0: part of those uh, free games. Isn't it? I don't think no. it is. Really? No. Nothing that came out this year is part of it. So no Last of Us 2. No Ghost. And also no Spider-Man OG because it's uh, a package deal with the uh, Ultimate Edition of Spider-Man mm-hmm. Miles Morales.
1: I've got Spidey. Yeah, you'd, you'd be looking at uh, you know God of War, Horizon, uh, Monster Hunter, um, Last Some of Some good Us. third parties. Yeah. yeah like
2: Persona of 5.
0: Final Fantasy yeah, yeah. 15
2: I own, Horizon I own, Spidey I own. I've never played them, so it would still be stuff I'd be down to do with a slightly smoother play experience. Um, definitely certainly yeah we'll see maybe maybe I'll, if i can get it for seven i'd probably pull the trigger at like six or seven uh if i feel the itch but i also might just camp wario 64's twitter stream and wait for those restock announcements yeah i don't know uh, but i'd be down <laughs> for some sea of thieves if uh availability comes in stock and i could get it with all access i absolutely will own an xbox uh God, what's the stupid fucking naming convention for this generation? Series X? I I should point out, this is Sea of Thieves is not a game to play solo.
1: You have to be a special kind of twisted to play this game solo. Um, I tried one night, and it did not go well, and I realized this is really about... Doesn't
0: really seem like it would be very fun to play just two people either.
1: Surprisingly a lot of fun. With just two people, you can reasonably manage the medium-sized brigantine. So you're getting the benefits of having a bigger ship, but you're not overwhelmed trying to manage it. Um, but even in a little sloop, you know, a little two-man ship, like, pretty decent. did well, you just call it. me? <laughs> <Glop> and sloop. <laughs> you take that back. It's uh, it's uh, it's really just about making sure you have someone to, like, have your back. Because if you're playing by yourself and you have to leave your ship, that's when bad things happen. And if you have even just one person uh, to, to have your back and be able to, you know, keep an eye on the ship and take shifts exploring smaller islands, That goes a a long, long way. Because again, you don't run into a lot of people. It it is, it's a, when you run into a PVP player, it's like a special experience, you know? Because it happens so, not so infrequently as to like, be annoying that like, wait, isn't this part of the game? But not so often as to be annoying either, where you're like, fuck, this isn't fun because I keep getting blown up by dickheads, you know?
0: Well, isn't it like a, it's like a 16, it's like 16 player instances, something like that?
1: Uh, I'm not sure how many people are in a server at once.
0: Pretty large area to sort of wander around in, so you're not really... Very large area, yeah. Not really running into people a lot, yeah. I do like... uh, I like the concept of PvE VP, but haven't really been uh, very interested in Sea of Thieves in particular. Never really was uh, captured by the aesthetic and the... like what it's asking you to do. I'm currently subscribed to Game Pass on PC, but I do not know if I will continue to because it is just another um, thing that I'm spending money on, but I'm not using. Yeah. So, I I've been I've just been lazy and I haven't canceled it yet, but I will be probably this month. And uh, I don't know if Sea of Thieves is going to be the thing that's keeping me playing it for for the past like six months or so. It's been the the slow drip of the Master Chief Collection coming out and hopping in and playing some multiplayer for Reach or for two or for three and stuff like that. But I don't know if that that has been like single nights, and it's been problematic with just the Xbox app has been really bad on PC. Oh yeah, especially since I'm trying to install games not on my C drive because I only have 500 gigs on the the NVMe, and it's just like I'm having some troubles.
1: Game Pass is a lot less appealing of a proposition on PC versus console, and if you can get the you know the big boy package. Uh, We get both like the PC is more just sort of the cherry on top if you have a PC.
0: Yeah, and that's what it feels like. It feels like it's a a value add and not like Game Pass for PC is not really its main selling point. Right. And I'm not really interested in getting the series because I did just spend like over a $1,000 on my PC earlier this year. Sure. So I'm going to try and milk it for all it's worth.
1: I still don't know where I, I sit when it comes to, you know, I got the Xbox Series X only because financing it saves you money. Over a long enough period that it's not really a financial burden, right? And with the game's pass and it being a more powerful console than the PS5, I just said, let's just take a flyer on it. I got nothing else going on this year, you know? And I've enjoyed my time with it. And if we want to go down the rabbit hole of, of Xbox and PS5, we can. But I've been not underwhelmed because of, like the console's not good. It does exactly what it what it promises. But I just it hasn't been the next gen experience. In the way that like PlayStation was able to achieve, uh, I think a little a little more effectively with the PS5, despite many complaints I have with the PS5 as well. And we we knew going into this, that it wasn't you weren't going to be getting this massive generational leap. You know, not in in, in performance or at least in fidelity. Um, performance is vastly improved in many many older games, which is really great. But yeah, it just it it, it didn't feel like I was unboxing a new console and like getting this transformative experience which I, I should have expected but a let down nonetheless so yeah we can kind of get into that a little bit later but I've really mostly been playing just multiplayer games Sea of Thieves we can talk about Among Us or Phasmophobia um, two games I put a lot of time into as well but yeah I don't know I'm assuming you guys have just kind of stuck with the single-player stuff
2: as a rule yeah I did cross-code I'm still working on CrossCode, and then I've been having the itch for months to replay the Knights of the Old Republic series, and so I downloaded both of them for like 3 bucks on Steam because so I have a shiny, semi-almost-new computer, so I figured it could run pretty well. Got my controller driver set up so that I didn't have to use like fucking keyboard controls. Good old 360 controller wired 360 controller, which is definitely putting into context how bad a lot of the modern controllers are. Um, like, yep. Oh, it feels so good to hold that controller again. It's so comfortable. Wish the D pad is better. That's fair. That's totally fair, but it feels so fucking good to hold that. I'm okay with, a um, slightly janky D pad. So replaying Kodor, uh, single player, uh, of course, Sort of a more paint by numbers Star Wars adventure than number two, uh, but nonetheless really satisfying.
1: What, are you playing that with the, a controller?
2: Yeah, um, I'm playing that on Steam with a controller. Um, I found a uh, people who have custom uh, control settings you can download from the community page, um, where they oh, basically okay. remap the just remap the keyboard controls onto a uh, 360 controller. And it's a little janky um, because it's not natively supported like it is in number two. Uh, But basically just something to get used to, and then it was fine. Just figuring out. I I had to use a mouse. I I had to go buy a wireless mouse so that I could uh, play it effectively plugged into an HDMI output. Uh, But I had no complaints about that. Um, And now that I'm into the second one, it supports controller natively. So once it's booted, I don't have to use my mouse at all, uh, which is more convenient. But that was a joy to revisit.
1: I remember years ago picking up KOTOR on Steam. KOTOR is the reason I got Steam for the first time, probably 10 years ago. Um, and they didn't have controller support. You had to like download Xpatter and like enter your own inputs, and it, just, it was not a very compatible experience. I started KOTOR a couple years ago again on the Xbox when I had uh, an Xbox One. Um, didn't get too far in it, but I've always wanted to play that game with a controller to completion and I have never even come close. I always had played it on PC. So um, now that I have the the series X, it might be something I dive into again. And who knows, maybe uh, we talked about last night, maybe, maybe we'll do a little uh, deep dive on the core series sometime in the future.
2: Oh, we absolutely should. It's been great to get into the second one now and to remember how much they did in that game in terms of like challenging a lot of the established tropes and mythos is kotor 2 the last jedi of of star wars legends i mean it kind of it kind of is but honestly i think it does it better um although like oh, yeah. the game the game itself is a mess uh because they did it in 9 months which is absolutely ridiculous um so there's some jank for sure and the ending is is decidedly unfinished uh, but the way that they talk about the force and the balance between light and dark, that's essential and being two sides of the same coin and kind of fleshing out the whole, I don't know. It's just a lot more nuance of a take. The first one, it's, it, it's, so ham fisted with like the light side and dark side ports where it's like, you're either like Jesus or you're Satan. Like there's absolutely no middle ground whatsoever where you're either. Oh, a bioware your- RPG. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> like yeah. fucking Shepard is Space Hitler by Mass Effect 2, just total Space Hitler. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. But the second one is so much more nuanced where, you, you know, with with the introduction of Kreia as a character that you could do something that you feel is, is a quality act of mercy and you're like, well, if I can help somebody, I'm going to help somebody. And Kreia's like, well, what if that weakens them on their journey? What if they can't stand on their own? Da, 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 X, Y, Z, which is, you know, sort of Republican-y. Uh, if you really squint too hard at it. But at the same time, it's like <laughs> refreshing for a Star Wars game to have somebody go, but are you sure this is truly an act of mercy? Are you actually hurting them in the long run by doing this? Um, anyway, those games have been great. Had a Donkey Kong Country detour as well, which you will all hear about next week. But uh, yeah, single player for sure, which is my MO all the way. I will play Sea of Thieves with you. If I can get, if I can get an, uh, an oh, Xbox Sex yeah. on all access, then... I will 100% play Sea of Thieves with you.
0: If slash when you do get that Xbox Sex, you should also check out um, Outer Worlds because that's uh, Obsidian's sort of space fallout that they
2: made last year. Seems like that'd be right up your alley, Chris. I heard that. Yeah, I heard really, really good things. I saw it on sale like literally today for like 25 bucks on PS4. Now I'm feeling like I should have bought it. I had a copy.
1: I could have included it when you uh, bought all those games for me this summer. I uh, I played it for a couple hours and was not. It's it's definitely something I think you would like, Chris. It is, um, and I don't mean that as an insult. <laughs> uh, the charm of that game really lies in the world building and a lot of the character interaction and dialogue. Whereas, like, I just want a really pretty space game that I can run around and like collect things and level up. And a lot of that was kind of janky, jankier than I wanted it to
2: be. But I know people who adored that game. I, I think you'd be into it. For that reason, I mean, I'm all about that uh, character-driven single-player crap. That's uh, that's my wheelhouse, hundred percent.
1: What you mean is you like space jank?
2: EJ, have you tried playing uh, No Man's Sky lately? Was just gonna ask. I bought it during
1: quarantine. I don't know at some point this year I bought it and was underwhelmed and frustrated at the PC performance. Um, But I did download it on my my Xbox Six. With Games Pass, so you never know. I might go back to it and try it.
0: Because I know uh, Mac was playing that on PC. I don't know if Brennan ever jumped into it, but that does seem like a a game that you could see if Thieves Up and just go mine some planets together. It seems like that's what the fun of that game would be. I think
1: the onboarding for that game is a little whack, and the barrier of entry is is higher than I'd want it to be. Bro, how much Destiny 2 have you played this year? I've played a lot of Destiny this year. And listen, the onboarding on that game is is legitimately horrible, but it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Luckily I I've, I've had a Sherpa during all of my my sort of initial Destiny experiences. So I didn't have to worry about figuring that stuff out myself. I just shot things and collected weapons and played with people. But yeah, if you're if you're in that game trying to play the do the quests, like that's not what the game's about. The the game, there's a whole meta game there that the game does not explain to you and if you aren't playing with other experienced goobers who who like show you the ropes it's you know it'll be totally lost on you and i was totally lost that's why i, I quit playing destiny 2 cuz it was like such a departure from the first game which again was so arcane that if it weren't for having a super nerdy experienced playgroup to sure, brendan and i threw it we would have never gotten into the to the meat of it we would have just done what you know our buddy dre did the first time which is like do the quest and say yeah a lot of flash not a lot, a lot of substance uh, until you get into the meta of it, I don't. I don't blame anyone for not being into it. It's, you know, that that's Bungie's biggest shortcoming. So, anyway, let's jump to the other side of the globe here. Talk about some JRPGs. Nick, you've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles the
0: remaster, you would call it for Switch. Yeah, I never really know what the what the definition and delineation between like a remake and a remaster is or should be but it is definitely a very light sort of hand on the, uh, the yeah. quality of life changes and the, the visual performance. They definitely put like new faces on all the characters and they gave them better hair so they don't look like completely asinine because that <laughs> Wii game was horrendously disgusting looking. Yeah. It never looked good. It was trying to do a lot with uh, definitely an underpowered system, but that doesn't excuse a bad art style.
1: <laughs> very blocky, very brown and you had that really, really shitty like JRPG bloom,
0: yeah. And they just had bad face structures. Like it was like they were trying to avoid being too anime, but they were explicitly anime and everything about it. <laughs> but then yeah. it had like gross looking noses and mouths and eyes. So they definitely they definitely improved that, and that made it a lot more palatable as far as like watching the cutscenes and seeing the performances in that regard. But yeah, I uh, I finished that game. I started the sort of epilogue prologue additional content. Was not interested in it at all, so I, I've, I've just decided to skip that completely. But it was a a nice experience, and I don't really know how to like talk about it further without you just like prompting me. So just like ask a bunch of questions, and I'll talk about it that way.
1: <laughs> I do want to get into the comparisons between going back to this remaster, having after having played Xenoblade Chronicles Two a couple years ago, but What's the combat system in this like? Because I find that JRPGs, it's just a fucking shotgun blast of like, or maybe more a more apt description would be like, it's just, it's fucking, it's combat roulette. You have no idea what you're going to get. It, they're just so varied. What's the combat like in this game? And is it super jank or is it, is it cool?
0: Mechanically, there's a lot to digest. I feel like the comparison's been made, but it is very appropriate that the combat is like MMO combat. When you're in a combat encounter, you're auto-attacking. You're moving around and your auto attack is happening while you're moving around. And as your auto attack is hitting, that's building meters in which you can spend on uh, a different, like, middle action. And then you're scrolling left and right to choose between uh, other combat moves that you can do that you determine outside of combat. So you have, like, say you have 10 attacks that you can uh, cycle through, but you can only choose, like, six of them to be on your action menu. So that's like your choices that you're making systemically outside of combat, but then inside of combat, those moves will have different effects. So there are attacks that will put your enemy into a break state, which then you can topple them, which then you can do more damage to them while they're toppled. They're not attacking you, so that's sort of like a status effect, uh, sort of element to it. You can put enemies to sleep so they won't attack you until you attack them and wake them up. Uh, it's there's a lot of stuff happening. It's a little bit kind of janky and a problem to deal with though because you are not attacking alone it's you and two other party members that are controlled by ai and the ai is not very good so you're sort of like hoping like okay my character has break and i can put him to sleep but i don't have topple so i have to sort of like break them and hope that one of my ai companions will do the topple move so that they'll be in a a weakened state from that and some like bosses will only be susceptible to damage while they're toppled so you're like really relying on ai to do that until you get to the point where oh maybe i have one character that can break then topple all in one so it's a lot of relying on ai that's not good and i don't know it it never got to the point where it was like satisfying to interact with as far as the mechanics introduced in the combat system it was very cumbersome especially at the beginning and coming from xenoblade chronicles 2 where they had you just had four attacks and you put them on the face button so that you did them when you press the face buttons, as opposed to this one where I think I said six, but I think it is eight. So you're actually literally scrolling through using the D pad and like selecting which attack you're going to be doing next and like selecting it. And then it has got a, a cool timer. So it's very much built like an MMO where you'd have like your num your your number row selected for your, your hotkeys and right, your actions, right. but you're, manually scrolling and selecting and it's just a lot of things to like juggle and keep it like in place and never really felt very satisfying to interact with in that way
1: it feels like something that just does not translate well to a console game and it sounds
0: like they kind of fixed some of that in the sequel is that right they made it more satisfying and to actually interact with those elements and actually do those combos that they dealt so much more damage and you were just like, you felt way more effective. And I think the AI was a little bit better so that you're more likely to actually get those setups to have payoffs when you're using a character that uh, is doing the setup and then your AI companions doing the, the move, the follow up. That's actually what you're sh- trying to lay up to, you know, you're not just throwing the ball at the, at the backboard and hoping that someone will actually make it in the hoop. <laughs> I would get so frustrated with that so quickly. Like, like the third time it didn't work. I'd be like, fuck it, I'm out. I'm not trying anymore. I feel like I spent maybe three quarters of the game playing on like the, the regular-ass difficulty, but then I ended up just turning onto the casual mode, which was definitely a time saver because that, it's a long game. And the casual mode didn't make it like, it wasn't brain-dead easy. I still had to interact with the systems, but it was just like the enemies were less spongy and I died less often. And dying was never really that much of a punishment anyway I Just saying to the last autosave, which there's like quite a few autosaves. So it was just, I was interacting less with the, the annoying parts of it. It was basically like having save states on Donkey Kong Country. I'm going to ask you your favorite
1: question. How is the story in this video game?
0: It's got a really cool world. And from what I understand, the world of Xenoblade is sort of like a derivative... Uh, or a derivation, I guess, of the Gears and Xenosaga, like, games, because they're made by the same people. But it's got a lot of uh, cool elements that I enjoy, like the... uh, I don't know what it is about Japanese culture and its interpretation of, like, Christian mythos and just uh, how that interacts with their fascination with, like, mechs and stuff. But it's just, like, a really kind of cool... It's always a cool pastiche and, like, a cool uh, motif that I enjoy storylines based on that but as far as like characters i think the characters are probably better in this game than they are in xenoblade chronicles 2 because 2 just had so many of them and i don't want to get into like the whole fucking bullshit with like the blades and how there was a hundred different characters and half of them were designed by hentai artists and it's just sort of like there's There's just too many. There's too much character. There's not really enough storyline justification for those characters. But, I don't know. You fight God. You win with the power of friendship. You know, it's just like, it's anime. Whatever. But, it was just a a fun sort of thing to absorb. Entertaining enough. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Shonen. There's a lot of yelling. My, My girlfriend said to me, the other day. I think I told you this.
1: Anime is so dramatic.
0: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's the point. I've watched a lot of anime over here lately. I do not think this is a game that you would ever want to play, EJ. No,
1: no. I, I, I realized a long time ago, these JRPGs, uh, they're not for me. Chris, have you ever played a Xenoblade game or or is this your thing
2: outside of like Final Fantasy? I have not, actually. I played... Xeno Saga one of the episodes for like a hot minute. Is that the PS2 one? Yeah, yeah. If it's I mean if it's a JRPG like I probably fuck with it. So the the I don't know, airbrush upgrade whatever you want to call this version of the original Xenoblade is something that I've been I've been eyeing and as you both know, if I'm not immediately enthusiastic about something, I'm not fucking paying full price for it. I'm waiting till I can get it for like thirty bucks or twenty five bucks. So I've been waiting on this one. Yeah, man. I would say
0: uh, save it on. A, there's a website, Deku Deals, that you can uh, make like a wish list, and I'll email you once there's stuff that goes on sale. Ooh, noted. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that up right now. Decu Deals. Just a little pro tip for everybody out there for you kids at home. Ended up getting uh getting Spyro for a hot deal as a Christmas gift for Lindsay because uh. of that website.
1: Love Spyro, the trilogy remakes is, is wonderful. She's gonna love it if she's into that sort of thing. Chris, this was my hot take I was gonna give you earlier uh, when we were testing your mic. Oh no! Uh, that Spyro 2: Ripto's Rage is a better game than Mario 64, and I stand by it because Mario 64 sucks.
2: Mario 64 is fine. I mean, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't suck. I mean, it's kind of kind of easy for Spyro to come after and see the sins of its forefathers and then iterate upon them I mean like I think that everybody would say a platformer that came after any given platformer that literally started a genre is going to be better but that doesn't mean that like Mario 64 is inherently bad it just means that it's a growing pain and am I going to pick it up and play it on any given day fuck no I live in 2020 I've got a ton more better polished games to play But yeah, you're probably right. In spite of your uh, uh, cynicism and hatred for Mario 64, you're probably right. Uh, So you should take that victory.
1: I I just checked the release dates, hoping that the first Spyro game was close enough to Mario 64, but they're two years apart. And Ripto's Rage was was just barely a year afterwards. So you're right. You're right. The the iteration that happened in three years was was massive for the time. So uh, fuck me.
0: But how does uh, Rocket Robot on Wheels hold up to Mario 64 it's a question for the ages that's the other insomniac game right that was on N64. how about Croc Legend of the gobbos Croc is a Argonaut joint and uh, apparently people really love those games that came out a year after
1: Mario 64 so you imagine was being developed um, concurrently they were contemporary or maybe based on how janky Croc was which again I loved as a kid but how janky that game was uh maybe not maybe that
0: they started development after mario 64 success i don't know did uh spyro uh, back on ps1 did it integrate the dual shock eventually so that the the right trigger controlled the camera or was it by default on the the shoulder buttons back in the day i don't remember i have a vague memory
1: of playing the original spyro game with an original playstation controller obviously sans analog sticks but I don't have that memory for any subsequent Spyro game. I, I feel like I played them all with a DualShock and had camera control, but I might be totally wrong.
0: Yeah, that could be like an invented memory. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember that specifically from uh, Spyro 1 or 2. I can't remember which one. Uh, some childhood friend obviously had it, and I remember playing it for like a moment. I never had a PS1, I had a PS2. But then the only game that I played on it from the PS1 was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. So I do not have that much extensive PlayStation 1 experience. Can we just
1: talk about real quick the phenomena that we all experienced as 90s kids growing up in this weird transition between, you know, analog and digital and the phenomena of like going to a friend's house and they have a console you've never heard of. And they have games you've never heard of. And it's like this whole new world. And like that feeling, I can sit here putting myself in your basement, Nick, digging through a basket of N64 games and like being like, oh, Majora's Mask, I didn't know they had a new Zelda game. Or or popping in Smash Bros and like, you know, because I didn't have an N64 growing up. Like that that doesn't really exist in, in the internet age, right? Social media and... Obviously, how ubiquitous games have become, Daniel knows anything that's come out between YouTube, like, games he's not even allowed to play, like, he's, he has completed the God of War game on YouTube, a game that I haven't even beat yet. He knows the whole story because he's watched it all on fucking YouTube, because, you know, he's not allowed to play it. Right. So there's, it's, like, kind of unique to our generation of, like, that, that discovery, and, of course, when you're a little kid, everything is, like, magical and everything is new and exciting, but I feel like that's something that kids these days... As I yell at the these clouds kids
0: here, these days.
1: <laughs> that doesn't exist for them in that, in that same way. But some of my favorite memories, it was that discovery. It was going to a cousin's house and the weird neighborhood kid had a Pokemon game that I had never heard of, you know? Right. I'm like A oh, Pokemon trading card game? The card game on Game Boy? You know? And like, you didn't know about it. The game rules. Oh, it's, f- goddamn, it's wonderful. The music and just spamming your deck full of oaks. Oaks and Bills. Oaks and Bills, dude. So wait, was Oak draw seven and and Bill was draw two?
0: Yeah, Oak was discard your hand, draw seven. Right. And you could have four of them and you could play as many as you want a turn. It was busted. (laughs) Oh, the
1: early Pokemon card game, man. I I started not that long ago. I started the... uh, Team Great Rocket? Team Great Rocket, yeah. The sequel. Got a fan translation. What nostalgia. What nostalgia, but... I'm all about looking back when it comes to these sort of things because I want to enjoy the new and exciting things. But at the end of the day, gaming is a very—I don't want to say it's a childish hobby because that seems, you know, like I'm—I'm I'm trying to insult somebody. But like, you know, it's something that we all grew to love as children. And whenever I'm trying to enjoy a game, I'm chasing some version of the feelings I had as a carefree child experiencing these worlds for the first time.
0: That's like the same reason you watch sports, you know? It's always different. It's always fun and new and and exciting and engaging. And it's something that you've been doing since you were a kid. Big brain time, (laughs) baby.
2: We got Mario and basketball over here. Hey, that game slaps. Mario and basketball. What was the name of that one? (laughs) Hoopers? Uh, Yeah, there was a basketball one. There Um, was? it was great. Yeah, it oh, was on man. DS, right? The three V three one? No. Mario Hoops three on three. Or am I thinking yeah. of Wii Sports Resort basketball? Was there a Wii Sports basketball? I don't remember.
1: Is it if this game's any good, I gotta pick up a copy.
0: I mean, I remember. We being are great. The, the Mario Hoops three on three. That's the EA one, right?
2: Yes, I believe so.
1: This came out after I graduated high school. That explains a lot. As to why I wouldn't Have known it. I was pretty much the only games I played that I kept up with in high school were the Pokemon games. Outside of that, I didn't play anything in high school except for my PS2, which was old news, obviously. Anyway, Mario Hoopers, dude. Three on three. Let's fucking go. Put that on the list. Have you guys seen anything about uh, Immortals, Phoenix Rising? Does it
2: interest you? Because I'm kind of interested. Yeah, it seems like a Chris-ass Chris game. Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, it's a Ubisoft title that's not Assassin's Creed, but uses a ton of the same fucking mechanics from Assassin's Creed. So yeah, I'm going to be on that like a fly on shit soon. I did read an analysis that the Switch version um, plays pretty well given the limited capacity that the Switch has. Uh, And for me... Nick, you mentioned this earlier about Indies that if you can get them on Switch, you're gonna wait and get them on Switch. And that's been my MO the whole time is bring shit to Switch and I will buy it. And I have done that. So I will definitely be picking it up. 50% off DQ deals, twenty nine ninety nine right now. For Switch. Really.
1: On Amazon, dude. Or Best Buy. Only those two. I have a Target gift card. Also at Target.
2: Oh shit, I'm going on there right now.
0: Yeah, I feel like Immortals is definitely going to be uh, Starlinked as far as prices. I could see that dropping down to $15 eventually.
1: Yeah, that's super cool, though, because Starlinked is like a criminally underrated experience. Like, the shooting and the ship mechanics are freaking awesome. The exploration's cool. I feel like that there's a niche for that game that just a lot of people didn't get to experience. Um, in Phoenix... Like you said, Chris, it's a Ubisoft ass Ubisoft game and a Zelda Breath of the Wild fucking skin.
2: It sounds outstanding. I dropped ten bucks to buy Starlink uh, on Amazon with the R Wing figure, and my yeah. package got destroyed in transit. It never showed no. up. Oh no. Literally got destroyed and they refunded it. And I was like, All right, well, I guess that wasn't meant to be. Um I was excited about having that R Wing on my entertainment center.
1: You can probably still get it for for dirt cheap. I picked it up digitally for one of those crazy sales, getting the ultimate edition for like 13 bucks or something. And I played around with it um, before I lost my job. And it's something that I, I have told myself throughout COVID that I'm like, I- I'm going to go back to that. Hell yeah. Dude, this Deku deals website is badass. Is it all switch? That makes sense.
0: This made by like a guy that I saw. Uh, he linked it on Reddit or something. He's like, Hey, I made this website. If you guys want to keep track of deals.
1: I like when it tells you it's the lowest deal ever.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it keeps track of the, the sales history. So Very you can cool. see If you can see any trends, like sometimes like you know, Activision games, be like, oh, this only goes on sale during fall.
1: A couple of things I want to touch on before we kind of get into the PS5 and Xbox, and I'm going to kind of rely on you guys to just, you know, I'll, I'll just field questions. I have some thoughts about the DualSense that I will rant on. But other than that, just, you know, whatever, if you guys have any curiosities. Um, I know Chris is watching the Trailblazer game right now, which I I'm so sorry. Not a great not a great game right now uh, as we fall behind 25 at the top of the third. This is a Trailblazers podcast now, in case you're wondering. You're going to get a play-by-play uh, two weeks late. <laughs> Nick's not happy about it. It's bad cotton. Among us, Nick. I know we've talked about this briefly because for a while there, our boys were playing it and we were having a good time, and then they quickly got over it, and I started playing with a different group. Um, And I still go back to it whenever we can feasibly put a group of 8 to 10 people together, which is rare. You know, It's mafia or secret Hitler, uh, but on a computer. And when you have a full group of 8 or 10 friends, it is a fucking great time. If you're listening to this, you know Among Us at this point, it it was Tiger King of video games this year. Very appropriate. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. But less syphilis and suicide. So yeah, I don't know. I wish we could have got you to play it, but as you keep saying... You don't like games. You have to lie to your friends.
0: stresses me out too much. I don't have fun with it. The absolute thrill of seeing that screen
1: and hearing that sound, it says, you are the imposter. And just the the butterflies and your heart starts racing. You're like, all right, how am I going to get away with it now? And the more experience your friends get, the more people learn the maps and, you know, they learn which vents connect where and what some of the common plays are and how you trap people. And suddenly I'm, I'm, going from the most experienced player to one of the least, and I'm trying to figure out the meta of, like, how people are trying to trap potential imposters. It is just, it's a game that makes you think quick, and, yeah, obviously, if you're not a good liar, you know, it's not a game for you, but, or if, you, if you're if you slow on your feet, you don't have to be a good liar necessarily. There's a limited number of things you can lie about, but, like, you have to be quick. And our buddy Brennan Whenever he's the imposter, if he gets sussed at all, not even accused, just like, hey, what were you doing over there, Brennan? He fucking radio silence for like 10, 15 seconds. We're like, okay, it's Brennan. And he's just like, I can't think of something quick enough. It's like, you just have to say literally (laughs) anything, just literally anything, and we'll move on. So it's a lot of fun. I wanna chat about, uh, I wanna chat about Phasmophobia before we move on to the um, next gen stuff. Have you guys seen anything about this game? Yeah. It also kind of took off a little bit after Among Us. Very different type of game. It's one to four players. You are hunting ghosts. It's made by one person, I believe. So it's very much early access jank. You have a bunch of tools at your disposal, and you're kind of playing a game of uh, Supernatural Clue, trying to deduce what kind of ghost you were dealing with. And there are a lot of intricacies there, the way different tools work. Uh, and how they interact with different types of ghosts and different types of environments, and and then the jank just adds another layer of like unpredictability, which is fun. For the record, I am not a horror game fan at all. The only horror game I've ever played, unless you want to count Last of Us as horror games, which I would, mm-hmm. so I guess I played those. But the only like strictly horror game I've ever played outside of this was kind of played. I I, I did a whole playthrough next to Brennan a couple years ago of Until Dawn. Until Dawn, yeah. Uh, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed for what it was. There was a lot of camp and... Yeah, it's like a slasher movie. Well, it, it hits on every trope. Like, ghosts and, like, Indian burial grounds and, like, aliens and clowns and stalker flicks or or slasher flicks. Like, it, it touches on every single trope, which after a while I actually found kind of fun. And and you kind of roll with the camp and there are moments, you know, of suspense, obviously. But it's once you kind of settle into it, it's not that scary of a game. Um, And it's just interesting to kind of pick the different paths. But I'm not a horror game guy. I don't like horror movies. I don't like horror games. I, you know, I ain't never read no fucking HP Lovecraft over here. Like, it's just not for me, okay? So I got dragged into Phasmophobia. And, dude, the first week of that game was terrifying. But I was addicted to it. It was like eating spicy food. It hurts. I hate this. But I would just keep coming back for more, man. Moments where the ghost would pop up and the, the sound effect would flash. And in the game... Uh, when your adrenaline gets going, if a ghost comes near you, you hear the heart pounding in your headphones. And that freaks you out because it's abrupt and it's visceral and, and loud. and Yeah, and you, wa- you know walking into a house and you hear like a radio on upstairs. I mean, it's terrifying. And it becomes less so the more you understand how all of the mechanics work and, you know, it can quickly kind of become routine how you deduce what you're dealing with. But for like a good six weeks there, we were playing every other night and it was a lot of fun. So another one of those games where I would love to get some of the guys from the group chat in on it. Have either of you seen anything like this? I know, you, Nick, you said that you had seen, you know, when this game took off. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, yeah, I've just heard a lot of uh, similar sort of takes and impressions of it where it seems like a very cool game to play with friends for a while until it turns into too much of a we know what we're doing, we're just doing the thing. And then it's sort of that's where the abrupt fall off happens. But as right. a like a new hotness, it was a very, um, a big flash in the pan, but, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Sure. But yeah. It is what it is.
1: It, uh, it's fun bringing in new players who'd never played and trying to explain things to them, and then you get to kind of live vicariously through them because they don't know what to expect.
0: Yeah, it's like showing a friend a a movie that you love.
1: Yeah, it'd be would be another one of those games to add to the list of you know cool things to do with people. It's cheap. It's a it was dirt cheap. So
0: yeah, I can't imagine like. I don't know how you make this game and not have it be uh, cool for a while and then not cool anymore because the point of horror and suspenseful things is that you don't know what's going to happen and I don't think there's enough variation that you could possibly add to a game like this to make it so that it was always suspenseful. You know, you're not going through a a haunted house like multiple times and expecting it to be as cool the second or third or fourth or fifth or tenth time, you know?
1: And you can't rely on jump scares at all. Like that's even if they are randomized, you can't rely on that to, to build enough suspense to keep people engaged. You know, you do a a drip of content, you know, new ghosts, new tools, new environments. That's, that's a big one. They, but it's a single guy as far as I'm aware. And you just can't produce enough content quick enough to, to keep things interesting enough um, long-term.
0: So I think the only way you could make it so that it was constantly interesting is if the uh, ghost wasn't AI, but that's that's a whole nother can of worms that you have to try and design. And then you right. get stuff like Evolve or Friday the 13th or Dead by Daylight, and it's just a different kind of game. It's not like a right. horror game anymore. It's a it's a PvP game.
1: Yeah, that's all I have to say on that. That's a game uh, that I've spent a lot of time with and outside of Rocket League, which you know we've talked about. Uh, Chris, anything else you've been playing recently
2: that you want to chat about? I got Yoshi's Crafted World on sale on Black Friday. I think I got it for 30 bucks, which is the price I was looking for. Uh, that's been a delightful diversion whenever I'm sort of overloaded on whatever else I'm playing. Just like pop in, do a couple of levels, um, really charming design. The music is like immediately welcoming and delightful. Um uh, the, the whole crafted world aesthetic, nah, not as interesting to me as the, as woolly world was in terms of all of the yarn stuff. I was sort of like, ah, oh, we're using different craft supplies and not yarn this time. All right, sure. Um, and I'm a little, I, I kind of thought that the whole, they said, oh, you're going to be able to go on the back side of the level and it's going to be a different experience. And like, yeah, that's technically true but you don't really play it from the backside. It's sort of like a sprint through where you have to go find Poochie's puppies in a specific amount of time and then get back to the beginning of the level. Um, There's little, uh, they call them scavenger hunts, where NPCs on the map will say, hey, did you find me a, a squid? And I've known it to be on the backside of the underwater level. So you go into the underwater level on the backside, you're looking for the squid, you got to shoot it with an egg. That's been like fun, like interesting-ish, but it still doesn't really justify the existence of the flip side world for me. But again, it's a Yoshi game. I know exactly what I was going to get, which was charming, very straightforward collect a thon. Um, And like I said, it's been a a welcome diversion to just like shut my brain off and play something that is mildly challenging just to collect all of the stuff in one playthrough, uh, on any given level. And I'm still pretty early. I think I'm like in late in the second world at this point, there's five worlds. So I still got a lot of game left. Uh, but I've enjoyed that. I probably get like an eight, five or an eight, seven, five at this point. Nick, is that a game that
0: you picked up? Uh, it is a game that Lindsay has that we haven't gotten around to playing, but we played the demo together. Uh, last year or two years ago whenever that that demo dropped and uh, basically mirror what Chris was saying we I'd played a little bit of Woolly World didn't really get too far in that game but it is definitely it's kind of uh, a bummer that the the Yoshi games are kind of like in the Kirby tier of Mario platformers where it's just like here's Babby's platformer I wish there was a little bit more challenge I wish there was a little bit more to differentiate it from Mario so that they could still be interesting without just being uh very elementary but what chris was saying as far as like the the low tension low stakes sort of easy mode gaming sesh is sort of how i feel about paper mario so i think that chris you would really enjoy paper mario as far as that but less of the execution and more of the the thought process behind the uh puzzling combat mechanics it's just the slide puzzles are actually pretty interesting in the combat for paper mario
2: If I get it for 30 bucks, I would definitely buy it. There's Deku Deals Part 3. I'm going to go put that on my list. Um, If I know (laughs) it's going to be, like, a chill game, I'm definitely not buying it day one. I'm definitely not buying it until I can get it on sale. Just because, like, for me at this point, like, honestly, I think ever since Assassin's Creed 3, which was, like, fucking unplayable at launch, I was like, I don't think I'm ever buying stuff day one again. Um unless it's a franchise I absolutely can't live without. So like Final Fantasy, I'll buy day one pretty much without question, Metroid I buy day one without question. Um, but that's it. I mean other than that, it's gotta gotta be a seriously major release. Uh, the last of us, the first one was the hype was so immense for that and the reviews were so incredibly positive that that got me out, which was sort of unprecedented for me to go buy a new ip at launch. Um. Yeah, I don't really I don't really mess with day one stuff. Maybe this is a good segue into Cyberpunk Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> sort of okay. case in point, right? Overselling, yeah. under delivering and then literally being the first game in history to be delayed after launch by being pulled from the PlayStation store. <laughs> like just a shit show. What a nightmare. It's there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't know
1: how much we want to get into it because, Chris, you and I haven't played it. Nick, you played for a little bit. We have a lot of friends who are really into this game right now, but but just to touch on real quick, like this game was such a fucking disaster, PlayStation pulled it from
0: their store. That is insane. You know the reasoning behind that, though, right? Like, CDPR... To try and like cover their own asses, we're saying, hey, we'll give uh we'll give refunds to whoever wants it, and just contact the the store owners for their pers- for their respective platforms, and we'll we'll make sure you get a refund. And Sony, because uh digital rights management is so bad, and you have no rights with the digital copies of games that you quote unquote That's own, right. they can't say, hey, we we're refunding you a, a faulty product, and continue to sell a faulty product. So they had to take it from the store just so that they could give refunds. And I'm sure they were very upset with CDPR for being so candid with saying, hey, we'll give you, we'll we'll give uh, refunds and we'll, we, we skipped the the certification progr- or process because we're homies with with Microsoft and with Sony. So we just said, yeah, we'll fix it. And oops, we didn't. So it's, it's definitely, they threw a lot of their partners under the bus with just all their sort of PR fiasco nonsense.
1: I don't think it would have been as bad because look at the Witcher was also kind of a disaster on console, but you kind of expect it. If you're a Bethesda fan, you know, you know, and for a game the size of the Witcher, you just expect it to just be a fucking janky mess and they fixed it, it and it became a game really worth playing. But the problem with this is that they promised for years that it was coming to, you know, PlayStation and Xbox, and that was like 70% of their pre-orders. Cash in hand, we're selling to this this these consoles that were underpowered when they started developing the goddamn game, and and knowing this was probably going to get pushed to, to new hardware, whether that was, you know, uh, Xbox One X, PS Pro, or, or looking at a next generation of games, and they've known for obviously years at this point that PS5 was coming and Xbox whatever was coming. And they did all the PR spin to talk about how, oh, it's a surprisingly good port to the last gen. You don't have to worry about it. And then it was a fucking, I mean, IGN gave it like a four. That's unheard of. It was such a mess on last gen console. So that's the problem. It's not necessarily that like, listen, there's demand for this game. We can't delay it again. We have investors breathing down our necks. All right. It's going to need some work. But because their development was spread across five consoles, essentially, or four consoles plus PC. No, no, five, right? Xbox S, X, One, One X, PS4, PS5, six fucking consoles plus PC. I mean, it's just that's... PS4 Pro. (laughs) Right, oh my God. It's just too much for a a single company to handle. And that's something that we've talked about in the past about how when you look at these iterative consoles, what a problem this is going to be for developers as they try to target who and what they're developing for this was the eventuality we talked about back in 2017
0: well the game was just it was just undercooked on all platforms i mean on pc it's not as janky but it still has the same problems where the ai isn't implemented at all and like it's just very very unoptimized it wasn't ready it was six months too early if not more yeah and more they should have delayed it longer but they knew that if they delayed it longer that they wouldn't be able to sell it as much on the PS4 and the Xbox One because there'd be more desire for it on the Series and on the PS5. But it doesn't justify it, and they've been developing this game for seven years on the PS4 and Xbox One. I don't. They just completely dropped the ball down a canyon. Like they could not have fucked it up more. Right. It goes to show that this kind of shit will always backfire on you. They should have delayed it more. Xbox delayed Halo Halo Infinite a full year. They're not going to hurt sales-wise because of that. Right. It, it reminds me of the NVIDIA. You guys saw the NVIDIA fucking
1: drama over... This is obviously tangential to what we're talking about, but an NVIDIA PR rep emailed like a YouTuber and was basically like... A bunch of PR speak about their how great their new line of cards were and basically said, if your editorial commentary doesn't line up with how we view our products, we're not going to give you products anymore. Kindly fuck
0: off. And it fucking... Blew up in the tech world. I heard a little bit about this, but to an extent, they're right. Reviewers are just an extension of PR. They are, but they're not paid PR. Yeah, so it's better than PR. <laughs> well, right, right. And that's and that's the risk you
1: take with like, hey, we're not paying you. You're not an advertisement for us. We're gonna provide you a, a product that you have to return to us. People forget that. They're not getting free products. Like you have to give this back to us. But you know, we're gonna give it to you. And in turn, you get, you know, you get a release content and put food on your table sooner than anyone else, and that's that's the circle of life. But when you start blackballing people and forcing people to choose between like their integrity or putting food on their table... So anyway, it blew up, and, and reading that initial email, you're like, how did you not think this was not going to fucking blow up on you monumentally? This was going to get out there, and it was not going to go over well.
0: For this specific NVIDIA case, it's not going to hurt their sales because they're supply-constrained anyway.
1: <laughs> this is true, but if it hurts... In the long term, if it hurts enough relationships with, because again, these guys, Nvidia relies on the Linus Tech Tips and the and the J's Two Cents and the and the Bitwits of the world to like, to to push these products and tell people, you know, YouTube is the reason PC gaming uh, saw such a renaissance in the last five seven years, right? It, it was the social media figuring itself out enough and and these PR relationships. It's the reason these companies still exist at this level. And for them to to think they can come in and throw a wrench in that. So anyway, that's totally tangential, but... Related, though. CD Projekt Red did something so obviously shady. I know it's not the developer's fault. It, this, is, this comes from some stock-holding dickhead, right? The investors. It's all about the bottom line. Like, we have to get this out in time for the holiday. We have to get this out in time for these old consoles. Well, I wouldn't even before- say
0: it's like from the investors' fault. I mean, there are investors that are looking into the likelihood of being able to file a lawsuit against CDPR and saying hey you uh promised you overpromised and underdelivered to a legally uh detrimental effect. And this is the problem because yeah, there's always a scapegoat, right?
1: And you have you have studio heads That's who are like That's corporations. Exactly. <laughs> but you have these studio heads who they're they're being their necks are being breathed down by stockholders, and it's basically like, hey, guess what? You're gonna be destitute if you don't fucking figure this out. And and the head of these studios are like, well, and this is when the crunch comes in, and you hear all these horror destitute. stories. It, it's like with their
0: golden parachutes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, these guys, you know, a
0: lot of these guys. What do you think they're worth? They're not, they're not. These guys aren't billionaires. I'm just saying, like, they're worth more than the QA that they're make that they're forcing to crunch on the product.
1: A studio head or or some of these guys in the upper echelon of of these studios, like, they aren't an executive sitting in their suite making phone calls and yelling at people. Like, they are a part of this development as much as anyone. Yeah, they're making more money and they have more responsibility. So I'm not gonna like defend these guys in the sense that I think they're infallible and have done the wrong. But I'm just saying, like. They are in a position where it's like, you're going to lose your job if you don't do the things that the stockholders demand, and then you do the thing they demand, and they're like, well, you fucked up, so we're going to sue you now. And it's like, yeah. it's
0: a no well, I'm, win. I'm still, I'm still actually waiting for the, the heads to roll, because there hasn't been any any firings yet, I don't think. I don't think anyone's been let go or left, left in shame with head right. in hand, you know? <laughs> I think
1: they were hoping it was just going to blow over, and then it kept escalating.
0: I think it will blow over. They've been quiet. And I think that's for the best. They shouldn't yeah. have. They should have gone quiet sooner. They should have no man's sky did. They should have just shut up and just gotten to work. Which sucks because the people working are gonna be you know working through the holidays. <laughs> this game is still the best selling game on Amazon. You know how many weeks out? Yeah, because this is like a very small you know ten thousand people getting mad on the internet is not comparable to the millions of games that this uh, millions of copies this game has sold.
1: I also would argue that like I mean this this game does not meet my standards whatsoever. But I'm really picky about how my games run and how they look and how they play. Like, for the vast majority of people, some of these people upgraded from an Xbox 360 just to play Cyberpunk because back in 2012, when they heard about it, this is all they've been looking forward to for a goddamn decade. And so, like, some of these people went out this Christmas and bought a PS4 for the first time to play Cyberpunk because they're, you know, they're not as connected or uh to the to the gaming industry and this was really this was like their splurge, you know, and this is what they were waiting for. Whatever. It's it's you feel bad for those people, but at the same time, like they don't know. Like the last game they played was Bioshock Infinite on the 360. That's a fucking potato. You know, this game's no different. It's got all I mean, GTA five on the fucking Xbox three sixty was an abomination and never got fixed. It couldn't be fixed. Doesn't have to be fixed. Sold too well to be fixed. Exactly. the same thing, but no one was mad at Rockstar. I beat that game on 360. It was a travesty, but it was the only way you could play it, so you just fucking deal with it. So, like, on one hand, the principle of it is fucked up, but on the other hand, I'm like, dude, so many of these people don't fucking care. They're playing a janky-ass last-gen game. They're not going to buy a PS5 until 2026 anyway, but it's the principle of it being shady. And, you know, I have never seen a company burn as much goodwill as CDPR has in... Such a short amount of time. They were the darlings of the video game industry. You know? Small team. Took care of their people. Made phenomenal games. Phenomenal game. Phenomenal game. You're right. Uh, but in retrospect, <laughs> it's games. It's Witcher 3, bro. Even though those first two games sucked. Uh, uh, the, the rose-colored glasses, okay? They, they came out in full force. Actually, 2 was interesting. <laughs> if you can play a sequel to a game, or a second sequel to a game... Without needing any backstory to know what the fuck is happening, the other games were not interesting. Okay, Breath of the Wild, <laughs> not a sequel, but part of a series, I guess. In name and loose aesthetic only, <laughs> like in name and s- songs. Well, yeah, but you don't you don't need context of other Zelda. I games know. To, I'm just being shitty. God. You're just being a being a guy. I'm just being me. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I want to say about CDPR.
2: You guys have everything to add there. I kind of wanted to give them the the doubt because, like you said, they had amassed such goodwill, if for no other reason for me, but the way that they treat their employees in an industry that still is, like, rampantly abusive towards its personnel, whether that's in, like, literal physical or sexual abuse, hashtag Ubisoft, or whether that is in crunching them, hashtag Naughty Dog, um, slash everyone. Yeah, I was going to say, like, everyone ever, but just, like, you know, they're the they're the flavor of the month because of like killing their team to get the last was two out. (laughs) the game of the year last was two. (laughs) Jesus. Um, anyway, uh, what a joke giving awards to any artistic mediums, but I digress. Uh, but then once (laughs) it came to light that they had only given, so there's this big controversy, right? That a whole bunch of the reviewers were like, this game is amazing. It's going to be fantastic. And you had like IGN, initially gave it like a seven or like a 7.4 and they got crucified on the internet by all the fucking fanboys who had pre-ordered this game and never fucking played it, but who somehow had attached like a piece of their own identity to it because they'd invested $60 or whatever into this product that they hadn't even actually gotten to play. Then we find out that they had only sent PC codes to everyone who reviewed it. And so nobody had any idea that it was going to be this bad on console. And so once it dropped, there was a reverse backlash where all the same fucking people who shat on IGN and the review sites that were like, yeah, this isn't that great of a game uh, turned on everybody who gave it such glowing scores and said, how could you have betrayed us like this? How could you have not told us it was going to be this bad? How could you have not said that the console version was going to be this buggy? Because CDPR didn't send it to them because they knew they had an absolute like goat of a product on their hand that they was not ready to be released and they didn't want anybody to know about it, which is sort of par for the course for any capitalist consumer industry. But like you said from the outset, was shocking from this company that we'd come to expect such good things from. Uh, But that was for me when I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not buying this. Definitely not buying this game. Um, Even if I could get it on PC and it could run well, Uh, definitely not buying this game. Because I didn't didn't fuck with Witcher 3. So I don't have that sense of, I don't know, mystique that they have for producing one good to great game, question mark. I just don't have that. So why would I buy this game? I have no reason to buy this game.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And there's something very appealing about being a part of the zeitgeist when all your friends are playing something and... Twitter is talking about it for a week or whatever and like you you know even the most cynical of us feel that pull somewhere and even I felt it after all the controversy I was like oh my friends are playing I want to talk about it with them but you have to resist you know don't support the shady don't don't do it it's just not
0: That's why I downloaded a free let's say a demo and then uh, you uninstalled it after I knew I mean This was never going to be a Nick game to begin with. I'm not exactly uh, into Western RPGs and especially not ones in first person with uh, subpar shooting mechanics and very cumbersome, uh, cumbersome controls, but... Too many skill trees! I didn't even get to the point where skill trees were introduced. I was just (laughs) trying to wrestle with... There's stealth mechanics and hacking mechanics and melee combat and gun combat and it was just... It was very overwhelming... And the writing was bad because, obviously, and uh, it was very shiny, very pretty-looking game, but I'm just not, like, super enamored with that sort of uh, GTA but in the future kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. No. And uh, I don't know. I got a couple hours into it, and it was just like, it crashed, and I was like, oh, I'm just never going to play it again.
1: There you go. there's the end of that. Yeah. Well, it runs... Decently well. I mean, it's still a buggy mess, and there's still the uh, the issues with the AI. And I was
0: getting 60 FPS at 1440p on my GTX 2070 Super. So there you go. That's like a upper mid tier card.
1: Yeah, it, it it runs
0: decent on the next gen consoles. Um, still not what you would want. And they're not even the like native uh, versions of those games yet. It's just the the PS4 Pro and Xbox One X optimized versions, but running on better hardware you're wondering how in
1: the world can a Xbox sex or PS five version, how are they going to justify next gen quote unquote upgrades when it can't even fucking run the last gen quote unquote version. It seems very silly and they're setting themselves up for disaster. Again, people are going to expect like, Oh, the next gen version is going to look better, play better. And it's like, well, no, it's fucking not. It's just going to be playable. That's what the next gen version is going to be. And that's, that's not a good thing a good look so oh well that's that's enough on on cd project red and and cyberpunk that's Um, why you
0: don't look forward to a game and expect it's going to be like the next coming of fucking christ you know it's just a video game it's just a good new video game from a company that you liked their last game don't get your panties all hiked up and ready to go because you're just going to get disappointed and also definitely don't go flaming people on the internet just because they have an opinion (laughs) find something else that brings you joy if your only source of joy
1: strictly lies in uh like chris said this the capitalist machine um and hoping that that these people aren't going to do you wrong like you're probably going to be a pretty fucking miserable person so just go
0: play splatoon and tetris like our, our good friend leaf
1: <laughs> shout out leaf we love <laughs> you buddy find something other than tetris to play give me a call he loves tetris he loves tetris
0: play uh, effect connected on uh on your series x it's cool Tetris, but it has the multiplayer, like, Pv PvE
1: mode. Yeah, I went on a, a tear downloading shit on uh, Games Pass. But it reminded me, not not in gameplay, I mean, it's not anything like this game, but the vibe reminded me a lot of, what was that shooter on PS4? It was kind of a tech demo. Resogun. Resogun, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's Geometry Wars. It's, uh, it's vector lines on dark background. It's luminous. We won't, ugh, God, we have still so much to talk about. PS5, Xbox, Miles Morales...
1: Yeah, talk about Spider Man. I'm gonna save my Dual Sense rant for after I talk about Spider Man because Spider Man Miles Morales was an exceptional experience. I had a very positive experience with it. It was a great time. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know where to begin. I I platinumed
2: the original Spider Man game, which Chris, you still haven't played, correct? That is correct. Yeah, that's correct. I, I have okay. it. I have the definitive edition, whatever that means. Uh, but I have not yet played it. But I'm looking forward to playing it. That game is.
1: If you're a Spider-Man fan, there's a lot there from a lore perspective, all their twist on the characters, you knowing just enough as a fan to like say hey, I recognize this but appreciate how they have made it their own. Um so that's a lot of fun. But it's just a it's very much a popcorn flick. Swinging around is a delight, the story is very campy, you have a ton of villains, like it is just it's like the perfect game for me. Right, you don't have to take it too seriously. The combat is great if that's your sort of thing. I know it's not necessarily like like Nick, you know, as a Souls fan who likes really tight, you know, balanced combat. This isn't going to be for you. It's very much the evolution of the Arkham combat with some cool gadgets um, and a lot better movement. But I'm into that. I'm into that. It's just deep enough to keep you engaged, and just enough uh, uh, sort of gadgets to, to keep things varied. So it's just like the perfect popcorn game. It's the first game I ever platinumed. I played it several times. I, I beat it once, then twice on New Game Plus on U- Ultimate Difficulty. Then I played it again this year during quarantine, and then I platinumed New Game Plus again on PS5. So I have played the fuck out of that game, and it's DLC. First time you platinumed anything? Yes, correct. And then I, I shortly after that, I platinumed Spyro on PS4. But um, yeah, I, I I never been a trophy guy, but... Spider-Man had the the just the enough balance of like things to do, side quests, collectibles, and just some quirky fun sort of hidden trophy things that sort of added to the experience. It, and it was it was easy too. It wasn't it wasn't a game where it's like, all right, go sink hundred hours into multiplayer or like do this impossibly difficult thing. Like, look at you, Tony Hawk. Still having platinum to you. Don't think I ever will, because I will never be good enough to do it. So shit like that. So yeah, my first
0: platinum. So are you saying that you've only uh platinum or seek to platinum games that were somehow influenced or made by Insomniac. That's 100%
1: accurate. That is it. Uh, anyway, all that to say, I had really high expectations for Miles Morales. The reveal was awesome. Uh, I couldn't believe we were getting more Spider-Man. And then when all the talks devolved into like, well, it's is it DLC? Is it a Lost Legacy sort of like spinoff where it's not really a game? Yada, yada, yada. And I was kind of nervous. I was like, "Oh, is this going to be half baked, rushed out for for lunch?" No, I'm happy to say that it surpasses the original Spider Man game in almost every single way. You tell me you're, you don't like playing as Mary Jane on bad four stealth missions? No, playing as Miles or Mary Jane in the original game was awful. Thankfully, there is none of that in this game.
0: Wait, you don't play as Miles in this game?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh. So, God, yeah. So, there's a lot to unpack here. I don't even I don't even know where to begin. First of all, the combat. The combat is vastly improved. You have less gadgets. Right. Which is which is fine because Miles, his Venom powers are so fucking cool.
0: Why do they have to name them Venom powers when there's literally a character named Venom in yeah, Spider-Man? Shout
1: out to fucking Brian Michael Bendis for that one. God damn it, Bendis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they were kind of locked into that one. At least I'm assuming it was Bendis. I'm assuming that's where it originated. Yeah, I think you're right. But anyway, the the AoE effects are super cool. Like you feel like legitimately super powered in this game. And so not only as you unlock new powers and you use those venom powers in cool, interesting ways, whether you're launching yourself up into the air or you're like electrocuting people or you're like, you know, pounding the ground and launching people back like a fucking Super Saiyan. It also impacts the story in a really meaningful way. So that's really cool. You just you just feel way more powerful as My- Miles even though he's less experienced than Peter. You know, Miles has only had his powers for a year. Peter he's been Spider-Man for seven or eight years at this point. So there are things, you know, especially in the story, Miles is trying to figure things out and that's that's really cool. But you feel more powerful by the time you get the, all the powers unlocked and you kind of figure out how to use them. His stealth, I know we talked about this after the PS reveal uh this summer. The stealth was really cool. Nothing innovative, I would say, but like in the original game, taking down enemies stealthily was like one of the coolest things you could do. you know if only just to say, "Hey, I'm gonna do something different, you know for once mm-hmm. instead of just going in guns blazing. a lot of fun to to sneak around and web people to the wall and you know whatever. this game being able to go invisible, like saved me from so many precarious situations. And they added a couple different ways to take people down from walls or ceilings. where you are not just locked to an anchor point, uh, like on a, on a rafter or a light beam or whatever.
0: Right, and instead so of just like roping them up onto the the rafters, like right, so many different stealth missions were in the first game.
1: Right, yeah, you have a lot more options uh, in this one. So that was really cool. I really really enjoyed being able to go invisible. And when I went back to my playthrough uh, on of uh, Spidey. Twenty eighteen, New Game Plus on PS5, I was really missing not having the invisibility when I was doing stealth stuff. So yeah, those are all massive improvements to me. Story wise, also a massive improvement. The first one was good. The first one was very campy. You know, it touched on a lot of of comic book lore and and kind of put it on twist on things. It was very dense. There were a lot of villains. Some of the story felt a little disjointed. There were So many side things to do. This game is very focused. You're focused on Miles, his mom, his best friend, uh, another friend of his uh, who, I won't spoil anything, I guess, but who becomes a major part of the story. And, you know, it's it's primarily based in Harlem. So the main campaign is only like three or four hours, which is really short. But when I played the game, I, I pulled, you know, a Chris where I'm doing every side quest as I go. The thing that they nailed in this game is the pacing. The pacing was perfect. If you if you set out to do everything you could do, you know I still put almost twenty hours into my platinum run, which is short, uh, granted for for a platinum run. But and playing the game twice because you have to do New Game Plus. So so I should say I should say twenty hours to complete everything except for my new game plus only took me about three hours to to do the new game plus mainline. Um, but I almost 20 hours to complete everything uh, up to that point, which was just like, that's a like great length. You know, I will say like Spider-Man 2018 platinuming it. There are some of the collectibles that if you're not into them, you're not into them. And some of them are a little annoying. And this game just really trimmed the fat. They got rid of some of that obnoxious stuff the story beats, the things they add from a narrative perspective by doing the side quest, almost all of them feel super meaningful. Minor spoiler, uh if you've seen into the Spider-Verse, you know that uh Miles's uncle is the Prowler. He's in this game. They put a super cool twist on that whole origin story, or I guess it's not an origin story, but um on that relationship and how Miles finds out and like it is not what you expect. There is a lot of tension there, and some of the side quests really explore that relationship, and that was like, you know, that was one of the most meaningful side quests out of either of the the two Spider-Man games. Um There's there's a side quest at the end of the game, like, post-game that was freaking amazing that made me cry, like, legitimately choke up, which is super cool. I, I got choked up twice during this game. The ending of this game is just, like, so cool. So, yeah, man, they just, they they, they improved almost everything about it. The soundtrack... You know, obviously, Miles is like a young, you know, urban dude living in freaking Harlem, right? What? What is he? Seventeen or whatever? It's a very different world than what you know. Peter Parker is a twenty-four-year-old white dude, you know, from the opposite side of town. So, like, you you see a lot of that in the people he interacts with. The soundtrack is like a totally different vibe, almost to the point where I was irritated going back to Spider-Man 2018, and they had like the kind of campy orchestral thing. And I was like, no, 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 take me back to the cool beats and like, whether you, whether it's like old school hip hop or some of the, you know, like, like lo-fi stuff or like some of the dubstep shit you get with um, the new enemies in the game. Like, it's just a totally different vibe, which I was super into. So anyway, all that to say, yeah, it's um much more focused game. And to be honest, if they just wanted to release a Miles Morales scaled game every goddamn year, Instead of just like waiting three years and putting out a bigger game like Spider Man twenty eighteen, like I'd be so much happier with that, and just focus on these smaller stories. Granted, I am excited for the Spider Man game, which is inevitable. At least it fucking better be at this point. And you get to play as both Spider Man. That will be awesome, and I'm excited to see how they explore that with some of the villains they set up. So yeah, it is a game that I don't think you need to have played the first one, Chris. If If you do get a PS5 and you feel like jumping in, I mean, I would recommend if you have the time to play Spider-Man 2018 first, but if you don't feel like you want to invest all that time, you could jump into Miles. They have a recap. All you really need to know is Miles Morales is Spider-Man now. Peter Parker's in Europe. Go have fun in Harlem. You know,
2: it's definitely a game I'm going to buy, but like. Look, I'm not paying 60 or 70 dollars for a fucking 20 hour game to platinum in 2020, no goddamn way. Like this is why <laughs> I don't buy consoles at launch, period, is because the other than Nintendo consoles, I've literally bought like the last four Nintendo consoles in launch window. And a, lot, a big part of that is because they all came with a killer pack-in game I didn't have to pay for. I put so many hours into Nintendo Land on the Wii U. Like, that was such a gorgeous proof of concept. It was interesting. It was fun. I could have people over. I could do stuff with it. Like, yeah, Miles Morales seems great. But, I mean, if that's the big offering at launch, and it is, why am I buying this console right now? Like, that's a, that's yeah. a, 20, that's a $20 game.
0: I don't even know what you call that, but like their mid-range is now $50 as opposed to 40
2: Yeah,
1: no, I mean, it's it's freaking outrageous. Right, and their top tier games are 70 So I, actually, I think I got the Ultimate Edition for like 20 bucks because I had like some Best Buy rewards, but like $70 gets you Miles Morales and Spider-Man 2018 Remaster, which is a much more compelling proposition. The Remaster of 2018 is great. You get all the DLC, which is also good. That's another 20 hours of content.
0: And you, you can get that okay. for uh, PS4, and then that gets you uh, the free upgrade to PS5, I believe, if you so desire. It, it's confusing
1: how it how it works, but like you pay less for the upgrade if you own it. I don't, I can't remember how it all worked, but play Miles Morales on PS4? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, it'll, I'm sure it'd run fine. I, I, I have to say, performance wise, so both games have performance and fidelity mode, performance mode turns off ray tracing and uh, runs at 60 frames uh, consistently. But fidelity mode, you know, it's got the ray tracing and then this and that better textures runs at a more consistent, high resolution, whatever. And I think they patched in a performance mode that also has a ray tracing, like a lower ray tracing uh, at a lower resolution. So you have a lot of options here, how you want to play your game. Performance wise, dude, honestly, I played this game in fidelity mode because it looks so nice. And I'm gonna say this, and it's gonna go against everything I've ever said in my entire life, but Spider Man was the first game I played where 30 frames per second legitimately just felt more cinematic. It just felt cooler. What? Nick is fucking. <laughs> <Ow>. What?
0: The <laughs> uh, human eye can't see above it anyway, so I don't know oh, what you're doing with off. all those extra frames. Oh my god.
1: Uh, well, here's the thing. I, I haven't put Enough thought into it or analyze it enough to know what why this was the case, but 60 frames on Spider Man, both of them, because I played my New Game Plus run in 60 frames on Miles Morales, just so I got that full experience. I never got used to it in 60 frames, it felt uncanny, it was uncomfortable. I don't know why, of course. Going from 60 to 30, you know, it, it's a little jarring. You feel the oh, suddenly it's it's kind of stuttery and whatever, but but then you get used to it again, and you're like, oh, 30 feels really good. The motion blur helps, whatever. Uh, But I just never got used to 60 frames through my whole New Game Plus run. It it was just, it was a little uncanny. And it's weird because I also picked up Assassin's Creed Valhalla right before I played Miles Morales. And that was a game that I A-B'd performance and um, fidelity mode. And fidelity mode was unplayable for me.
0: Hands down, unplayable. 60 frames felt amazing. And I don't know what the difference is. Did you look at, like, any Digital Foundry to see if, like, the frame pacing was kind of odd for Valhalla on console or something? I did actually watch... I can't remember if they mentioned anything about that. They are focused on a
1: lot of the graphical issues. There's, like, a lot of tearing at first. And, like, somehow one consistent thing that I've seen is that, like, the Xbox Series X is underperforming compared to PS5. And I don't know if that's, like, a developer's focus thing.
0: Something I was uh, reading about was that uh, the dev kits for xbox came out after the ps5 dev kits so developers had less time to optimize for the hardware for xbox series right versus the ps5
1: well i know for example on the cyberpunk comparisons it was running poorer on the xbox series x but it had a higher consistent like resolution and it had higher crowd density and things like that so like you're getting more bang for your buck and it's slightly worse performance. And it's like, oh, well, these aren't even the same versions of the game, which you would typically expect from something like Assassin's Creed, right? Right. Uh, and so that's interesting. They did a follow-up video on that. But no, I can't remember anything specifically if it was like why 30 frames locked felt so different across two consoles. I don't I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking like, could it be a variable refresh rate thing? I have one of the OLEDs. You know, it's fully decked with the, vrr and the uh i could see that g-sync i don't know if that's even like currently active on the consoles like i don't know if that's even supported i have no idea but all right. i know is that 30 frames felt great on spider-man
0: i'm sure it also helps that the last game was built for 30 it's primarily the same engine so just unlocking the frame rate maybe it doesn't feel as good because it wasn't made with that in mind to maybe. begin with uh, kind I, of
1: thing. I, I don't know i do I not know they also I mean,
0: just added that uh that 4K 60 mode with like light ray tracing or something. They've added some uh, additional options to Miles Morales on PS5. What I wanted to ask you to transfer to the future was, you'd mentioned this a little bit, but talking about Spider-Man and talking about the next Spider-Man video game from Insomniac, uh, how do you think they maintain this sort of uh, trajectory where you're saying that the combat in Miles Morales felt so much better despite there being less gadgets, but maybe the gadgets weren't necessarily the thing that was making the combat interesting in the first game. How do they do that short of just letting you play as both characters? Is that something? Because I remember talking about that. I said, you know, the next Spider-Man game, you're going to be playing as both Peter and Miles and that there's a likelihood that, you know, you switch off based on story beats you know they could be fighting each other. There's so many things you could do with Spider-Man. They they left it open, ended enough at the end of the first one that they could really sort of take it in any direction they wanted to. But do you think it makes sense for them to Metroid you, where they just take away all your abilities from the first game and say, "Hey, start over, start upgrading again," or uh, how how do you make that so that you know I've I've complained, I've bemoaned this constantly, where it's just a huge problem where uh, skill trees are a big pain in the ass, but. Uh how do they do that in the sequel? I think there are a few options here.
1: A, I don't think you need to offer any like flashy new combat tricks necessarily. They will, and I think there's room for new gadgets for Peter. I think there's room for a new venom power or two for Miles. I don't think that's unreasonable for either of them. Of course, it's never going to be as exciting as the first time you unlocked, a, you know, a lot of these things. It won't be as deep uh or as expansive, and that's fine. But so they will, they'll introduce uh, some new iterations of both of those things. However, the big thing, I certainly hope at least the big gimmick in Spider-Man or Spider-Man three or whatever the fuck it's going to be called is uh symbiote powers. Um, that seems like the most logical thing, especially if it's going to be a Spider-Man 2018 level game. And if you are going to be playing as both Spider-Man or Spider-Man in a meaningful capacity, and there, there's a world where this could and should happen. Um, that's the thing is, is, They could always, you know, like in Miles Morales, we talked about like, I had hoped beyond hope that like, please don't just send Peter off on some lame mission that you set up in the first two minutes, you know, well, Peter's gone. So now it's up to miles. And like, that was the most predictable thing. That's exactly what they did. That was frustrating. If they, if they do a predictable cop out sort of thing with the Spider-Man or whatever it might be, it could really flop, but there's a way to integrate both of them, both a being, And running a simultaneous narrative. But also team-ups. They set up some cool team-ups with Black Cat and Spider-Man 2018. Um, That could be even cooler with two Spider-Men. So I think there's there's a lot of room for potential there. But symbiotes is the thing they've set up. I don't want to spoil anything for you, Chris. If you plan on playing 2018, there's very minor setup for the symbiote. And I have some theories on what that looks like. And how they could go in a a new and exciting direction without butchering any existing characters, honoring those characters, but doing something new and exciting, which they, again, they set up in post credit scenes in both of these Spider-Man games. So, of course, for some reason, these companies keep disappointing us, so there's plenty of room for Insomniac to fuck this up. But if they go the logical route, you're going to get symbiotes and you're going to get Spider-Man, and it's going to be fucking cool as fuck. And if they take the same leap they did with Miles Morales, where they trimmed the fat, added enough new content, and nailed the story beats. Again, you care about these characters so much more. Not that you didn't care about them in 2018, but you really care about Miles and his friends. And by the end of the story, the, the climax of the story was like jaw-dropping. I got emotional. If they can make everything in the next Spider-Man game as meaningful as everything in this game, I mean, good fucking luck, guys. <laughs>
2: You're speaking my language with that, I mean, I like my games to to hurt a little bit, you know what I mean, like uh even you know even the Final Fantasy VII remake, which was which was my game of the year last year, I know that Nick was giving me shit in the group chat that like, oh, game of the year last was two, that's what Chris expected or fucking whatever he said <laughs> uh, the Final Fantasy VII remake was my game of the year, uh, and it hurt a little bit, knowing the uh knowing. The initial context for these characters and what was going to happen to them, like, you can't not cry when you hear Aerith's theme for the first time, you know what I mean? Like, if you know, you know. Um, Although maybe we don't know, which was a big part of what the remake did, but I digress. So, uh, yeah, that sounds thrilling. I remember as a kid playing Spider-Man Maximum Carnage, which is Ah, like a total, it's a terrible game absolutely unplayable now. Um, and I've tried, uh, but the, all, all the symbiotes just held such an irresistible appeal and they still do because Spider-Man, Miles Morales, et cetera, the Spider-Men are so pure of heart. The idea of this like absolute corrupting force is so compelling and so interesting. And so I think that it would only be the natural direction to take it. And I'm really excited that there's a tease for that. Maybe when I get back to my PlayStation, uh, when I get back to Greensboro, that might be what slots into that PlayStation. Although I did just get the entire Kingdom Hearts anthology.
1: Oh no, don't do it. Which
2: I have never played, which is shocking to literally everyone who has ever known yeah. me and my gaming piece that I've never played these games. It's also not
1: a series that I imagine holds up very well after all these years unless you're a fucking dork who has loved Kingdom Hearts forever but I'm not one of those dorks so I I don't feel uh, particularly good about that franchise <laughs> myself. But yeah, no, as far as the symbiote thing, that's something I can envision is like a, you get a first, second act where like Peter gets corrupted and um, Miles and Peter have to face off with Peter being the symbiote and then you know uh, we free the symbiote and then we get a Venom third act or or whatever right like there's a lot of potential there and you really hope they don't fuck it up because our imaginations are running wild out here in podcast land uh, I just got word from old uh, Nick boy that his PC crashed oh no so we're really hoping he didn't lose his audio that will be um, very unfortunate that will be catastrophic. Oh god, that's going to be a nightmare. Chris, let's wrap this up since Nick is is fucked. Let me real quick. Let allow me to go on a dual sense rant. Okay. All right. Because I played this game on PS5 with this new controller. Because so many people have hyped this controller up as being truly next gen, which is of course bullshit. It's no more next fucking gen than than the haptics in the Switch controllers were. There are some interesting things they they demo in Astros, Astrobot, Astro World, whatever. In Spider Man, they were so fucking obnoxious. I turned them off almost immediately. But the Dual Sense itself, as far as the ergonomics go, I think is a genuine travesty. And I know there are people out there who disagree. There are plenty of people who who think this is the best controller PlayStation's ever put out. After about a week of using the controller, you know I'm having cramps in different parts of my hand. I'm having fingertips go numb. I am constantly shuffling the controller trying to get just the right grip on the thing. And I have big hands, right? I don't have little baby hands. I have man hands. Controllers are too small for me. Not too big, okay? This controller is just slightly too big in a lot of different areas. I have to say, I went onto the PlayStation sub knowing that I was going to be crucified and I, I made a post describing as objectively as possible. Prefacing that I was not an Xbox fanboy, that I've been a Sony guy, you know, for the last seven years. Growing up, I was a Sony guy. I've used every DualShock controller. And while, of course, I do think the Xbox controller is better and has historically always been, I liked the DualShock 4. The PlayStation was my main console. I got rid of my Xbox. So yeah, I prefaced with all that. And I I went into why this controller was the most uncomfortable controller I'd ever used. And... It was ruining my PS5 experience. Every time I, I used this thing, it was it was so deflating because I was so excited for the PS5 and so excited for Spider-Man. And every PlayStation, I was just plagued. I was just thinking about how awful this controller is and how I can't get quite comfortable with it. My finger's going numb. And, oh, I've got a cramp now. And, oh, the bottom edge is digging into my hand. That's so uncomfortable. So I got destroyed on this subreddit. And, you know, I expected it. I got downvoted to hell. Hundreds of downvotes. And I wasn't arguing with people. I was like, hey, if you like this controller, if you find it comfortable, or you don't find it actively uncomfortable, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Like, if you find it comfortable, you fucking find it comfortable, you know? So, whatever. Well, now, my my Reddit post is the number one hit on Google when you type in DualSense uncomfortable. So, as more and more people are getting PlayStations using the DualSense for the first time, slowly, over the last two months or almost two months, whatever, my, my post has finally climbed to a positive upvote ratio and has hundreds of comments now of people randomly, every day I wake up to a new comment of somebody being like, I found this post by Googling it. I hate this controller. I've been a Sony fanboy for yada yada years. And, and of course, this is confirmation bias. And again, like Nick said, a couple hundred angry people on the internet isn't going to change anything. And that fucking is what it is. But I know now I'm not crazy. That the ergonomics of this this controller were so poorly thought out. For example, the grips, like the sides, the grips bow out ever so slightly instead of just being straight. So your hands kind of... So my hands, you you can't see, listening to the pod right now, but your hands kind of bow out ever so slightly. So you're always kind of holding your hands a little... Right here in the wrist and in this part of your hand, you're kind of uncomfortably outstretched ever so slightly. But then you're also angling down to try and make sure you have a good, you know, contact on those face buttons. So you're always kind of shifting, being like, "This doesn't quite fucking feel right." And then you're stretching, of course, to their offset sticks, which are always not good. People complain. Inline sticks, not offset. So sorry, yeah, right. I am retarded. I know. Yeah, these <laughs> for the audio listeners. <laughs> the inline, uh, the inline uh, sticks, which have always been a problem. And people who say they aren't. Here's the thing with the offset sticks. of the time, you have your finger, your thumb on the, the, the left stick, and your thumbs on the face buttons. So you're parallel. And reaching every once in a while when you need to do camera control, not a big deal. That's an easy jump. That's natural. But when your fingers are stuck right next to each other and you're constantly making this switch and you're offset almost the entire time, that's extremely uncomfortable. The sticks are too close together. Now you have the opposite problem. The controller's too wide, so you're barely reaching over to those sticks. So now you're getting fatigued in the wrist, the the base of your palm. You're getting them in your thumbs. Some people have complained about again the 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 split in the housing and how it comes to a sharp point is hurting people's palms. My major gripe is the back on a P on a DS4 controller, there's a contour, right? where it, where it, it kind of molds to your finger and comes down to a point, and it's very slim. The back of the controller is only an inch or so tall, inch and a half tall, versus like two plus inches on the uh, the the DualSense controller. So, yeah, look at how contoured that is. So, so on the DS4, it is a little small for me, but my fingers rest, they kind of just hang off the back, or they rest along the contour. They're not pressing uncomfortably against anything, the DualSense, the back of that controller is like two plus inches tall. If you're holding it up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to describe the dimension. I don't know if tall is the right word. Yeah, tall or deep, I would say. And it doesn't have the contour. So your fingers are like pressed up against a level surface. Like, So you wrap around the grips and your fingers rest on the back of the controller. But instead of curling inward and resting comfortably, they're just pressed against the back. Like you know, like this the whole time. You, you, of course you guys can't see me, but so my middle fingers going numb for being pressed up against this controller while I'm awkwardly gripping this fucking horrible controller. So I have cramps and numbness and it's just, I don't know how in the world this got through QA, how nobody had a problem with it, how they thought that these ergonomics were going to work. They doubled down on their, their sticks, which whatever they have to do, Whatever.
0: Well, I think the most uh, damning thing that they did is they made it so that your PS4 controllers aren't forward compatible. There's nothing different a- enough about the DualSense that you shouldn't be able to play the games the exact same way on the older controller. Sure, you're not going to have the fancy new rumble, and they can't change the tension of your triggers, but that doesn't fucking matter anyway. No, absolutely. You can turn that off, not. and you can still play the game. Right. That is frustrating, and of course they want to sell more peripherals. But I'm out of point yes, now. That is
1: that is the way, that is the thing. <laughs> My PS5 is unhooked. I beat Spider Man, and I unhooked my PS5 to hook up the fucking 720p cable box, so my girlfriend could watch Hallmark movies. And I, I haven't lost an ounce of sleep about it, you know. And that's a yeah. shame that I would be playing. You know, I bought like uh, I bought Sackboy, and I, I wanted to beat Astro, and I downloaded a bunch of PS4 games from the collection that I could use a dual uh, shock DualShock with. But I just I'm like I'm so I'm so over this console right now. Which is, it sucks. You know, I want to like this console. The UI is wonderful. You know, being able to just run my old PlayStation games, you know, at a higher resolution and better frame rate is like super cool. They're games I still want to play uh, or was in the middle of like Ghost of Tsushima. But I'm like, I just, I can't be bothered with it right now. And the fact that I can't use my DualShock 4 on PS5 games, there are no third-party PS5 controllers um, as of yet. And... Uh, I I have zero hope that they will ever release a small version of the DualSense. That's unprecedented,
0: right? Nah, well they'll they'll have like third party ones, but they won't make their own probably. Yeah, and third party
1: controllers always fucking suck unless you get like a scuff controller for hundreds of dollars or whatever. Nah, eh, they're not that bad. They're just gonna be feature light in comparison. I will say the DualSense is very well built. It feels really nice. The first time I held it, I thought, "Whoa, this is awesome. This feels." Because it's heavier. It's heavier, the texture is really nice. Yeah, it felt really good, and but you use it and it, it all falls apart for me. So that is a unfortunate and, and and glaring black mark on what otherwise would have been a good experience. And I'm bummed. Uh, and I've stuck mostly with the Xbox, which has been a lot less impressive because it's kind of more the same. The controller is the same with some slight improvements, better texture,
0: better D-pad. Yeah, I was gonna ask about that that uh the D pad dish thing. So I I was thinking about getting an Xbox series controller one of these days as my updated uh PC controller because I've just been rocking a 360 controller with the with the you know the batteries. But I guess the series controller still uses batteries, doesn't it? You have to get the actual rechargeable thing, don't you? Yeah, which fortunately I had some, so that hasn't been
1: an issue. But Xbox series controller is amazing. I I used to get uh Elite Two controller for a while was just, I mean it's it's perfect. it's a perfect controller. Um, unfortunately, they had some manufacturing problems, which rendered it it Wasn't the grip the grip like rubbing off on the back or something? That was the first iteration. The second, okay. uh, the Elite Twos have a button problem, uh, sticky buttons, and it's widespread. Oof. Um and it was that widespread sucks. on all new uh, uh, Xbox controllers. On the Series controllers, they've got the opposite problem. They're too loose now. So something mm-hmm. about their manufacturing they haven't been able to figure out. Uh, something changed in the last couple of years, and it's it's been a disaster for them. A material issue, probably. But 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 the clicky D pad, you're gonna love the click. The dish is I weird. I haven't played any uh, precision platformers with it yet, so I I, I couldn't tell you. But just in navigating menus and stuff,
0: it feels feels fine. We've talked about this. I'm not. I don't slide my finger across D pads. I use it like a button. So. This might work for you then. The dish could be it could be better for me, it could be worse for me. I right. don't know. You can't I mean you can't go wrong, man. Xbox has just been
1: perfecting perfection for for 15 years. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah. You know, and so ever since they revised the Duke, they really, they really hammered home their their dedication to ergonomics. I think the 360 controller, despite its rough D pad, it fits so well in the hand. Like I was literally just holding mine that's on my desk and comparing how it holds to the, the DualShock 4, and the DualShock 4 doesn't hold a candle to the, the 360 controller. The grips are okay for your um, your pinky, your ring, and your middle finger. Your middle finger kind of wants to go into the back of the DualShock, and that has a similar problem to what you were talking about with the DualSense, where it's kind of just a flat plane, and it doesn't have like anywhere to go. But because of how petite the controller is in general, it doesn't have that same kind of issue to it. I still have trouble with the DualShock 4 accidentally pressing the home button, being in between the sticks, because I like to use the base of my thumb as my actuation point for the the analog uh, sticks, and I end up pressing either against my own thumb, when I'm doing from strafing left and turning, or strafing right and turning left, then my finger, my thumbs touch each other, which is weird, because it's a fucking white-ass controller, it's got that big-ass touchpad for no reason, but... Yeah, I've never been a really big fan of the DualShock 4. It was definitely a huge improvement over the 3 because it doesn't have the sloping (laughs) triggers on the back for whatever reason they did that for. But, yeah. It sucks that you're having trouble with the the DualSense. And it's even worse that it's like nobody, almost nobody else is having that same trouble. So for like a month, you just feel like you're being gaslit with your terrible hand cramps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: I took the time and uh, uh, Googled DualSense uncomfortable. Sure enough, first fucking hit, E-Jiggle <laughs> on the uh, Reddit page. And uh, y- yeah, you should be heartened. There seemed to be all all the comments I read, almost all of them, except for one person that said, like, just based on the fact that you said still doesn't have offset joystick, tells me everything I need to know about you. And I'm like, motherfucker, yeah. you are just such a shit stain In this digital ecosystem that just the worst kind of person. But other than that, other than that, tons of support, tons of support from people coming out of the woodwork and going, you're not crazy. Absolutely agree with you. And it's part of being, you know, being the first person who kind of had the sack to just go, okay, I'm going to go get crucified in this subreddit by all the fanboys. And that's going to be okay because eventually- (laughs) either nobody's going to agree with me and whatever. I've got a good hot take out there in the Reddit verse, or as more people get this console, just as you said, they're going to show up, they're going to support, they're going to confirm the experience. Um, so good on you for being a, uh, being a trendsetter. I mean, and of course that's not my goal. I was literally just
1: sitting here. I'm freaking out. Cause I'm like, what, why, why is this happening? What the fuck? Like, and I just needed to know if I was crazy or if people were talking about this. And, and at the time no one was um but honestly I, I'm like kids aren't gonna be able to use this controller. this controller's too big for me, man. look at these fucking paws like this my my twelve year old brother is not gonna be able to use a dual sense controller, man so that's we'll see if this becomes more of a problem as more people actually get the the playstations um in the wild so you know, I don't know it it is what it is and I'm kind of just waiting for again either a patch that lets me use my dual shot controllers or a decent third-party alternative. You know, thankfully there's like no must-play games right now, so it's you know unfortunate that my PlayStation just sitting there. Maybe I should capitalize on the demand for it and make some money. I don't know, but yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I'll buy it from you. Yeah, like I said, I want to make some money, and I would feel real bad trying to upsell a buddy. Uh, I'm not going to do that. But I'm not gonna lie. if I were to sell my PlayStation, I'm gonna sell it for whatever someone's
2: buying them for. So can't speak to the Portland market, but I did spend a little time on uh, uh, Craigslist and Facebook marketplace uh, as y'all have been riffing, looking at the going rate. and uh, I'm seeing a low a low price in the like 700 range, $7,750. so you can make like like a clean 50% profit on it if you wanted to probably. If you went any higher than that, I expect you'd probably languish. A little bit,
1: yeah, yeah. I would just put it on eBay for for auction and just let people go crazy thinking they're gonna get a deal, and they end up spending a thousand bucks on it. And listen, I'm not a scalper. I'm not gonna sit here trying to buy PlayStation so I can resell them and fuck people over. But like, there is a market and there is a demand. So if someone's gonna buy it for more than it's worth, like that's on them, not on me. Mm-hmm. Make make that cheddar. Yeah, of course. Fuck people who go out of their way to buy up all the product and artificially, you know, mark things up and, you know, ruin the fun for everybody. Fuck you, go trade stocks, you fucking I gotta bleep I shouldn't say. <laughs> um No, no, you should not. That that's my fucking opinion on it. But anyway, yeah, I won't be uh I probably won't be selling it. That seems like a lot of hassle. Then I, mean, I have to get a new one down the road and yeah, whatever. I have it. Offer it's up here.
0: I'm saying digital version, seven hundred dollars. Mm, okay, digital version. I saw one digital asking for a thousand. Yeah, I'd be curious to see so. what they're actually selling for. Yeah, I don't think OfferUp has like a has a a sold. Well, maybe I, d- I just don't really care enough to actually look into that. But I know eBay eBay you're gonna get more for it, but you're gonna also have to ship it.
1: Ship it, baby. Ship it. Anyway, let's wrap this thing up. We've been talking for two and a half hours. Nick, your PC crashed, so it's gonna be a bitch to fucking edit this again. Two nights Woo. in a row
0: <laughs> with just nightmare audio problems oh god yeah hoping the first the first uh, two hours actually made it I didn't actually go back and listen to it it said recovered the the project so I just saved that and started a new recording so hopefully Christ it's not too much of a a hassle to stitch together Councilcrusade.com.
2: mazel tov